human talking because you sound like a robot i am i'm kind of like a robot I, i'm not i wouldn't be mad if you sounded like a robot i would think that was incredible uh i can go for over a thousand dollars a pound that's you was really being ripped off i can get you that much well it, 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 it not necessarily and welcome to a brand new life to a brand new day From the wastelands of California, I am Michael. I am the host and producer of this program. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. We are here on a Saturday night at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Sometimes live, sometimes not so live. You can find us right on the TuneIn radio app by searching End of Days. Currently right now, the server is being possibly attacked. Can you believe that? That is quite amazing. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show. A place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light. No matter what you at home choose to believe, I do admire you for your curiosity. First up to the plate, our first guest is Linda Godfrey. Linda is one of America's foremost authorities on modern day monsters. She is the author of over a dozen books on werewolves, hauntings, and the paranormal, including Real Wolfman, True Encounters in Modern America, American Monsters, A History of Monster Lore, Legends, and Sightings in America, and of course, Weird Michigan. Linda has appeared on many national TV shows such as The History Channel's Monster Quest Inside Edition, and I believe The Sean Hannity Show. I'll never recall seeing that, but apparently she's been there. She, of course, also has been on the show Coast to Coast AM. And, of course, on the second half of the program, Jim Mallard joins me here live and direct. Jim is, of course, the executive producer and host of the groundbreaking Mallard Report. This entertaining and enlightening show has been one of the best shows in the paranormal amongst many of his listeners out there and of course this is the fastest hour in the paranormal talk 
Radio, by the way, that's what he likes to go by. So once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here I finally am again on a night like this. I missed you. Here we meet again under pale moonlight. I really did miss you, I'm telling you. That's no joke. So we've made it, everyone. Welcome to episode eight. We're here late in the game of December. We are approaching Christmas time. Ah, oh, yeah. What a wonderful time of the year, right? I also want to inform all of you out there. On Tuesday, December 20th at 6:30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Ibby joins me here. That, of course, is inglorious bitch of Belgap. Yeah, she's gonna be here. It's gonna be a fun time. There will be other callers dropping in here to say hi and talking to us for a bit during that program. I wanted that to be a very fun and open show where everyone is welcome with open arms. Looking to some great discussions with some of you out there. I was, of course, going to talk about various things for this special edition of the program. I'm excited about this one. For those who care, I was on another program this week. I was on the Secret Teachings, hosted by Ryan Gable. I had a great time. I'll try to find a link to that and, and put it up on the website soon. During that show, however, however, I had a chance to talk about my experiences with the paranormal, and of course, I brought up a few incidents that have occurred during this during this time. I know I've talked about my experiences here on the show. But it's a lot different when you're being interviewed about them. I had a really, I had to really calm myself during that one. I had all sorts of anxiety going on. I felt a little panicked during that conversation. Oh yeah, I got emotional almost there, and that was the first time that's ever happened. Pretty crazy stuff there. I'll talk more about that later. We are definitely running out of time here, and I believe my first guest. Linda Godfrey is around the bend here. Oh yeah, she's ready to go. I think I should get her in here. What do you think? Yeah, you think so too. All right. Hello. Hello, Linda. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I really cannot complain. However, <laughs> um, originally we're supposed to be on another server right now, and not the one we're using, but it's been compromised. So. Oh wow. Oh yeah, that happens every now and then. Well, just sound, you sound pretty good right now. Oh well, thank you. So do you, actually. Great. Yeah, I'm really happy you can be here, and of course I've talked to you a couple times before, but this time under a whole new, different banner. And of course, I hope to continue to talk to you. I always have a great time with you, Linda. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it'll be a very good show. I'm looking forward to it, and I like your new banner too. Oh, you saw that, huh? Sure, it's right up on my screen there. I think that's your new banner. Looks yes. Like it. Mm-hmm. That's the new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's excellent. Ah, uh, thank you so much. I had a great artist make that for me. Well, yeah, if you can find a good artist, that's a, it's a really wonderful and helpful thing. It's, it's a little bizarre, but then, you know, that's, that's the theme of the show, right? Of course, of course. It has to be a little bit bizarre, a little strange, a little crass every now and then. There you go. Oh, yeah. Right. So, Linda, how have you been, however? That's what I want to know. Well, it's been sort of a um, a strange spring, summer, fall, and going into winter. My husband and I moved to another house in another community, and uh, my mother's been quite ill. She passed away this last week, 
So um, oh, you know, I've yes. got a lot of different things on my plate. And on top of that, you know, of course, the Monsters Among Us book coming out and uh, all the things that the publisher um, kindly arranges for me to do. So it's it's been a little bit crazed. Yeah, it really has. And I do want to quickly say I'm completely sorry about about this. My deepest condolences to you and your family at this time. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's never, never easy. And I know you had a great relationship with your mother because I, I do recall seeing some Facebook posts of yours. And mm-hmm. she seemed like a great woman. She really was. She was just, uh, you know, a peach, one in a million. I mean, nobody's perfect, but she was pretty darn good, you know, as, as a mom. And, I mean, to raise seven children, I don't know how anybody even does that. Oh, I know. That's a lot of kids. And, by the way, you grew up with both parents, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and- mm-hmm. That that means we are both very, very lucky because most people out there don't grow up with their with both their parents. Right. Right. And, you know, and I feel, I mean, I feel really grateful that I had her for almost 88 years. Not everyone is lucky enough um, to live, for them to live long long enough or for their parents to live long enough, you know, to have that much time with them. So I feel very blessed and grateful in a lot of ways. I know some people um, don't know their parents or don't get along with them. I know. You know, so I'm I'm just feeling, feeling doubly blessed to have had her as long as, as we did and, and um, knowing she was ill for a very long time, it doesn't make it easier really when it happens, but in a way it does because you're sort of um, expecting it, and and uh, you, it's not a big huge shock, I guess you could you could say. But uh, still, it's still it's still as upsetting as it would be to anybody. But um, you know, I I know she's in a good place. It was interesting because she was continually saying the last few weeks that um, our dad was waiting for her. Really. So yeah, That's she was seeing him. And, yeah, she was seeing him and seeing her mother. So um, I, I don't think you can pin all of those on the Alzheimer's. <laughs> yes, and by the way, what's your dog's name again? Oh, he's Grendel. Yeah, I don't oh, know. Oh, Grendel. I don't know what it is about my getting on a radio show. He just seems to sense it that he shouldn't be barking, and so he starts. Yeah, he's, be, he's okay. being a little bit crazy right now. He's excited. It's okay. So yeah, it's uh. Grendel, you know, the monster from Beowulf. Beowulf, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, they've made so many different, like, TV shows and movies about that. It's kind of unusual, to say the least, how many different versions of that there are. There are. There, there really are. And um, I guess that's normal because it's it's really such a um, such an ancient and such a... Um, an exam, a well-examined story, you know, and, and you see references to it almost everywhere. So I guess it's only appropriate that uh, filmmaker, and, and then plus it has the monster connection. I think that's made it more popular in recent days because very true. Yeah, the monsters are just you know what people are um, more interested in these days. Correct. And Linda, can you give us a little brief? Sure, and there are plenty of those people, <laughs> and uh, I was a reporter. People wondered how I got into um, this line of inquiry, and it's because I was working, I had just actually started as a reporter at a small uh, newspaper in southeastern Wisconsin back in the uh, very late 80s, early 90s, and I heard the people around my hometown of Elkhorn, Wisconsin, saying they saw what they considered a werewolf. Um, 
they said if there was such a thing as a werewolf, this was what it looked like. It was five to seven feet tall, shaggy, dark brown fur, um, walked on its toe pads like a, a dog or, or a wolf, had long, a long snout with fangs, claws. Um, just the odd thing was that it ran and or walked upright. Um, as if that was its, its natural way. And it could also still go on all fours, too. And um, when I found, I didn't, just, I thought it was crazy. I really did not think that that's what they were seeing or that it was anything really unusual. But I found out that our animal control officer up for the county actually had a manila file folder in his desk that he had labeled werewolf because people were calling him and saying, you know, I saw this thing and describing it, and he was keeping their contact information. And um, a couple of different things struck me about that. One was that if you've got a county official with a file folder marked werewolf, then that's news. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at that point, the, the story has to be written. And the other thing was that I thought, well, hmm, usually if you're hoaxing, if you're pulling hoaxes, that, you know, could involve the authorities or um, causing danger on the highway, that kind of thing. You don't usually leave your full name and all your contact information um, with a county official, you know, hoping they'll call you back on it. You yeah. lie low. And, and yet these people were um, fully divulging who they were, and, and that's where I got my first leads. I went and talked to these people in person and interviewed them. And they didn't seem like hoaxers. They didn't seem like they were lying. Um, they still seemed genuinely frightened, most of them. Their stories were quite consistent. Um, I found out that there had actually been a couple of hoaxers. I've written about this in my books. Um, uh, there were a couple of kids with masks at one time, and there was a man who wore a gorilla suit. But these things happened really after the main reports um, were were said to have occurred. And so I couldn't. It was more like they were a reaction to than than a cause of these other incidents. So we ran the newspaper story, and it's funny you should ask because this happens to be the 25th anniversary oh, of wow. that story being printed. Really, the, the yes. Beast of Bray Road, right? Beast of Bray Road story, yeah. And if you go to my blog, which is lindagodfrey.com, there's no www. I've got that pinned up there. Um, the the newspaper. It's not the same news. The, the one that I wrote for was called The Week, and it was quite a large paper. This is uh, a little different. It's sort of the descendant of The Week. It's owned by the same uh, company, but it's um, it's just a, a little different sort of paper. And they reprinted my original story in today's um, pa- newspaper. It's called uh, the Sun- Sunday uh, Shopper, Shopper Sunday, I think is, is what it's called. You'll, you'll see it right there. But they reprinted that whole original story, um, plus an updated interview that um, one of their present reporters did with me just this past week to ask me a few questions about those days. So um, that really gives you a good idea of of what these people were talking about. Now, in my story, in my original story, uh-huh. the witnesses all decided they wanted to be anonymous, but they all changed their minds later. So in... Uh, publications and in my books and other publications later, you can find their their real names. But you'll see in that first original story, um, they were all um, just nicknames that I made up. So um, so that's it's a good source if you want to go back 
and see the original thing that started it all. And really, that story began kind of a landslide because almost immediately, media were calling me from all over the country and other people started phoning and and regular snail mailing me because email was not in general use at that time, telling me about their sightings, which was flabbergasting to me. I had no idea that this could be anything beyond some kind of local strange incident. And I found out, and it's continued, I still get uh, usually at least one a week, sometimes more, uh, report from just anywhere in the world, usually usually in the United States, but often Canada too. And um, it had never occurred to me that there would be so many other people in so many other locations seeing pretty much the same thing with minor variations. And so I realized this was not a local thing. Mm -hmm. It was probably a worldwide phenomena that probably went very far back, uh, farther back than, than we have modern reports upon, I'm sure, although it's well known in all kinds of uh, cultural history and religion, um, characters that, uh, or deities that look like upright canines. Yes, that's true. And I just wanted to mention, it seems like Michigan and Wisconsin seem to be a hotspot for all these sightings. Why do you think that is, Linda? Well, they do sort of seem to be uh, ground zero in, in terms of the the, the con, uh, contemporary really? sightings. Really? I know. It's, it's pretty and, bizarre. Yeah. Um, part of it is that there does seem to be a general concentration around the Great Lakes states, um, there have been very many recent things going on in Pennsylvania, particularly, um, also Ohio. Um, it's as if that's sort of the, the nexus of the sightings, and then they branch out from there kind of west westward to uh, California and some of the far western states down to Texas, um, to the southeast over to Georgia. And then there's another string that just kind of follows that Great Lakes Trail all the way up into uh, New York State and, and up to Maine. So um, I there's uh, some other people doing wonderful jobs of tracking all the uh, – the Cloaked Hedgehog is a blog that, that tracks all of these mm-hmm. uh, sightings better than I've been able to. But any time that I've done my own mapping, which is something I always do right from the beginning, I've, I have noticed that there are clusters or certain areas. And one thing about um, – Wisconsin and Michigan, especially um, the southern part of Michigan, is that they were both at the time that the the Europeans came to colonize. Um, these areas had very, very rich, rich concentrations of not just Native American burial mounds, but variously shaped ancient effigy mounds. Um, in Wisconsin, they were mostly shaped like animals, different types of animals. And in Michigan, they were, they called them, um, garden beds because they reminded, um, settlers and colonists of English gardens. They were in, laid out in geometric formations, very crisply and beautifully done. Um, nice. some of them looked like mazes. They, they, they were very enigmatic. Nobody could figure out what these things might have been made for. Um, they, they think, the thinking today is that they were probably ceremonial for some reason or another. But um, it just so happens that um, these areas in in southern Wisconsin and in southern Michigan also um, were very concentrated hot spots at one time or another um, for sightings of these creatures. 
Yes, and let's backtrack just quickly here. I did want to know, how exactly did you become interested in cryptozoology? Well, again, um, I'd always been interested in just strange things. Um, my dad was very into science fiction, so we always had the old science fiction uh, magazines okay. around. You know, I, I grew up kind of seeing those. Um, and he also was a very avid sportsman. And so he subscribed to all these men's magazines that back in the 60s and early 70s were carrying all of those early Ivan Sanderson stories about Bigfoot. So um, I had that exposure in my home, you know, that, that I saw those. And, and when your dad is into something, you know, that's sort of impressive. It, it It's more likely often to make you interested in True. it. True. Yeah, and, it's good yeah, that both so, of your parents were open-minded then. They were. They were both... Um, very, very much readers and thinkers, and they liked us to have our own interest and, you know, always encouraged us to read. We always had tons of reading material and, you know, our own encyclopedias and um, books of all kinds. We go to the library. So that was, that was huge. And yeah. I, think, I think that it was what helped me to remain open to the idea that um, if a lot of people were reporting seeing upright canines, um, that there might be something to it and that it at least should be investigated, even if it turned out to be nothing more than a hoax or something that would just turn into local folklore. Um, you know, I, I felt that people were owed an explanation to it. Right. And yeah, so, so that was what really got me. And then of course, being, um, you know, a, cur- a naturally curious person and working as a reporter, I was curious and, and began researching. And on top of that, people were writing to me. So, in a way, it was all sort of thrown in my lap. And I felt um, almost an obligation just to see it through, um, if, if, for, if for nothing else, but the sake of the people who were having the courage to write me and tell me their own stories. You know, So I, I sort of grew into that interest, I would say. Yeah, it definitely seemed to influence you. And in a positive way, obviously. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I I would have still become a writer. Um, I had it in my mind that someday I would write books. But um, for the t- I worked for that paper for ten years and was not at all thinking about writing a book about that. <laughs> sure, I'm, I'm sure that never crossed your mind once. Well, you know, it didn't too much because there was another story that I had discovered also while working for the the newspaper that was a fascinating. Um, true crime poison murder in southeastern Wisconsin that had been totally just blotted out from people's minds and forgotten about, but it was nationally known back in the 1920s and uh, was was really interesting. And I had started really researching that while I was working at the paper after it ran and just caused kind of a firestorm of, of its own interest. Um, you know, I, I wanted to write the book on that, and that was the first book that I wrote. It was called The Poison Widow, A True Story of Sin, Strychnine, and Murder. And it was, um, I didn't have too much trouble selling it to the regional uh, Wisconsin press. It was called Trails Media then. And it was only after after they took that and they liked it and they said, what else have you got? And then I said, well, uh, would you believe werewolves, you know, and uh those books did not come out, either one of them, until 2013, which was, um, you know, a good 10, 11 years after the initial Beast of Bray Road story struck. So, you know, it, it wasn't something that was uppermost on my mind, like, yeah, I'm going to write a 
write books about this. Just it was just something that uh, in both cases seemed to interest people so much, and I became interested in them both and felt like I just wanted to write for people what uh, what actually happened in each of those cases. By the way, Linda, would you say this is difficult to break into publishing books like these? Well, um, you know, not with self-publishing these days. You know, pretty much anybody can do that. Um, sure, but do publishers have some sort of preference, I guess you can say? Certain kind of topics? Well, it depends on the, on the publisher. You know, there are all types of publishers. Um, you know, from the very big houses to, um, uh, mini presses. It, it's also very much easier to become a publisher these days because of, of, um, you know, ebooks and everything that uh, we have technically or technologically that we didn't have before. Um, so, you know, it's, it's I'm hard asked, for me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but I, I just want to quickly say that a lot of writers out there, they don't really like the way, I guess you can say Amazon does business. You mean with the self-published books or? With, with everything there, with just selling content on the website. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of things that are more difficult these days too from it. You know, that's, that's really true. And, um, I actually have a, a couple of, of, uh, books that are self-published with my agent in New York with, uh, with the agency, which is kind of a new model. They take care of, um, the numbers and things I'm really bad at. And, um, I do the writing and, uh, we, in, in fact, we republished the original Beast of Bray Road book, um, that way so that it's now the, the original publisher, um, had gone, it had gone out of print and, and then the publisher went bankrupt. And so we picked it up. I had the rights and we republished the exact same, um, book as it was, but with a new, more, um, appropriate cover. The first cover showed a creature that looked sort of cat-like. Um, it That's, was done yeah. by, mm-hmm. yeah, by a very, by a very well-known artist who was an artist for the old, um, Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons creator, TSR. And, um, he did kind of a really wonderful, funky movie poster type of, of, uh, of, uh, cover. But, uh, for the second one, for the re-release, my, my son, who is an artist, did that illustration of a much more canine looking thing. So, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways it's more appropriate as great as the first cover was, but we did publish it that way and, and it's done really well. Um, I, and I think the, the regular publishing world still exists. And again, there are, I have lots of friends who, you know, have started out in the smaller presses too. Uh-huh. I, I started in, um, with a fairly small regional press. And um, have used a couple of others along the way that were perhaps smaller. And I've also had books published under Barnes and Noble. And right now my publisher um, is is quite a large one. So um, you know, there, there's still a real variety out there. Yes. And, and oh, go ahead. Sorry. And I, I I don't like to generalize too much because the choices are broader than ever. And it's just kind of a matter of um, creating the best book that you can and then finding the best place to put it, you know, just, just kind of finding your way there. And there are also um, another wonderful tool that wasn't available when I first started was um, there are sites on the internet that have um, where, where you can find an agent 
or you find a publisher that um, you can sign up for and personalize and keep track of things real easily and get all kinds of great hints and, and ways to go about it that didn't used to exist too. And and I always advise people, don't just write the book and think you can just hand this thing in. You have to really refine it and hone it. Look on these sites. Find out what is acceptable to a publisher in terms of, uh, you know, your writing and your format and try and be the best writer and investigator that you can. And um, and I also always think that you should have a purpose for a book. It shouldn't just be something you want to throw out there to say, oh, yeah, I wrote a book. You should have a, a purpose well in mind because yeah, that, true. That, that's what um, publisher, publishers are looking for, um, some reason to print a book and something that will, uh, having that reason impels readers to, to want to uh, buy it, you know, and, and see it. So as far as publishing goes, uh, it's, it's a much more complex, but I think actually um, there are more opportunities than there used to be. And, and if you educate yourself well enough, um, you know, you can um, go anywhere. I agree for sure. And I always found it interesting, all the cryptids that you talk about, dogman, were, uh, werewolves. And um, I did want to bring up Marco Polo's 13th century travels to India, where he too saw dog-headed. Well, actually, I don't think he personally saw dog-headed humans, but according to the people he met there, they described uh, these humans out there with these dog heads. It was pretty unusual. Apparently, they didn't talk. They just barked like dogs. Yeah, I think that was supposed to be the Andaman Islands. I believe so, yes. Yeah, where these things were located. And um, Yeah, it's hard to tell something written so long ago in another place. There's, of course, a lot of contention over how realistic those reports were and, you know, whether they represented something else. But, um, you know, there may, there may have been something like, um, there are places in China, for instance, where, um, in some very, there's some very large provinces where many of the people believe they were actually descended from dogs or dog people and they still have festivals every year where the women may have hairdos that look like they put their hair up in two little buns that look like dog ears and, they have ceremonies, and um, there are a number of our Native American tribes that, um, in in their own culture stories, they trace some of their lineage back to um, the dog wife or the dog husband, where supposedly they 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 have that in their lineage. It's a pretty widespread belief um, of of these dog people that the cynanthropy or dog-headed people. The cynocephali. Cynocephali, that's another, yes, that's probably the more often used term. The cynocephali and um, other things like that, however, um, are quite different than these contemporary sightings because in most of those culture stories, um, those creatures wore clothing. They, you know, did a lot of things that humans do. You know, they were part of the culture, part of, of uh, the daily life. Not in everyone, but but generally. But um, the things that people were seeing out at Bray Road and that are usually reported, there's there's a subset of them that are different, but the majority depict nothing but a truly canine animal that acts strangely, it behaves strangely, and then it has that additional shock of uh, running around on its hind legs. But it has a tail, it has claws, it has, uh, you know, runs on its toe pads, um, has the pointed ears on top of the head, 
it doesn't seem to have cultural artifacts at all or, um, you know, need anything except raw meat and I suppose some, you know, foraged, other foraged items. Um, you know, it's often seen chasing deer or picking up roadkill, that kind of thing. So, you know, we, we know they're eating something. Yeah. And Linda, by the way, speaking of the beast, has anyone been physically attacked by it? Um, you know, I've heard stories from other investigators there. I don't generally talk about them a lot, um, not because I don't believe them, but just because they're not, they're not my own investigation and I don't really, you know, I don't know the people. It's, it's difficult for me to, to talk about them, but, um, there's still pretty few and far between even then. And I've only had, um, just one where a person was physically injured really in any way. And this was a man from Quebec province who was just out for a stroll in, in, uh, one of the uh, state or national parks. I can't remember which offhand and encountered an upright wolf-like creature on the trail was not armed or anything. And so he just stood there and the creature lunged at him and he said he sort of panicked and he, he thought in retrospect that it really didn't intend to attack him at all because he said if it did, it could have just jumped him and gotten him immediately right there. But instead he was sort of in its way and it kind of grazed his, um, his flank and his hip with its fangs kind of tore the clothing and um, made sort of a gash that he had to go get stitched up. And he said he told the, the doctors that a bear did it, which, again, would also have been a really unusual sort of bear attack. Yeah. But um, there, And he showed me, he sent me a photograph of it. I've displayed it here and there. It's somewhere on one of my websites. I can't remember exactly where at the moment. But and it looked like a big jagged tear. There's no way to confirm that from my end exactly. I can't say for sure that, yes, these were made by the claws of a dog man, but I have had, I have shown it to physicians who have said, yes, it's consistent with, um, something like a claw that would have sort of, um, an uneven size to, you know, pointy at one end and then larger at the other by the way the, the, the ribs were, were formed. So, um, and I don't know why this man, this man had, it had a real ring of truth to it, his letter. And uh, he was another one that wanted to remain anonymous, never wanted to be known for it or anything like that. And so I, I've kept it private. But mm-hmm. that's the only real injury that I've had reported to me in 25 years. Oh, wow. So another thing I, I was curious about, have there been any stories perhaps you've done that you, I guess you could say you ended up not publishing those anywhere? Because they were, I guess you could say, too much, perhaps? Um Stories that I've just received from people, you mean? or Sure, yes. That you thought um, you probably just think best not to share those. Well, there, there's never been anything that was just like so gory, if that's what you mean. Correct. I haven't, yeah. I haven't, I haven't ever gotten anything like that. Um, I have gotten a few things where, um, people were attempting to go to someplace like dark occult magic, you know, that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I wouldn't call gory, but it just didn't seem appropriate. It wasn't anything that I could really investigate or prove. Yes. And, or that I really wanted to go to. I mean, that's, that's not, you know, my, the, the focus of my investigations. Um, so that, there, and there haven't been that many of those. Um, there have been some, I'm more likely to not publish something that comes to me that just says, well, 
um, you know, I kept hearing this screaming in the woods, but they don't have any other evidence. And a lot of things can scream in woods. Rabbits can scream horribly. Deer can, I mean, just about anything can manage a scream if it's in pain or, you know, has some other motivation, um, could be a wolf or bear or anything. Um, so if, if I just, if they just say, well, I heard a scream, um, if it's in an area where there have been a lot of sightings, I might add that in. You know, I've had a, a couple of times where I've done that. If it's strengthening another area sighting, then it makes sense. Um, or if somebody says, well, you know, I saw just something with brown fur running through the forest, and I get quite a few of those. And that's, it, it really doesn't illuminate anything. I can't tell for sure what they saw. Um, there's no, if there's no real reason, again, unless, say, there was a really great, um, dogman sighting right there the day before, or Bigfoot, and then the next day somebody unrelated says, I saw this tall thing run through the woods. I might mention it as sort of a backup. Yes. But, oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, oh, no, that's okay. Um, those would be really the main, the main ones that I see. And I also must ask, are there any cryptids that you just don't believe in, period? I have a hard time believing in the Loch Ness Monster. I think I might be retiring that one, to be honest with you. I believe in the Mothman more than I do the Loch Ness Monster. And speaking of which, I believe there was a sighting back in November by a hunter who took a photo of the Mothman, an alleged Mothman sighting, I should say. Yeah, I think I, I think I know which one you mean. Yeah, and it's so hard with photos these days because it is uh, really, yeah. Yeah, I mean, unless you've got some other corroborating thing or another person who saw it, or and I mean, it very well could be that a person was looking at it, took a picture, and then the picture just didn't turn. They they just don't turn out, you know, in in almost every case to where it can be definitive. Um, that's that's the problem, or there's also Photoshop is now just so widely available and, and has become so easy for people to use um, and become good at that you have all of these. You need, and people can, there are still experts who can go through the layers and determine if it, things were added to it or subtracted, but you may have to go to a lot of trouble to find that out. So it's just the, the photos are problematic. And as far as something I don't believe, um, I still don't. And from, from the very beginning, I don't believe in actual traditional Hollywood-style werewolves. Ah. I believe that there can be some, you know, I don't dismiss the idea of um, things that could have to do with um, what people call other dimensions or other worlds or other energy types, maybe that are um, generated by people trained as, as shamans or medicine medicine people of various Places around the world, um, because there's a lot, there's a lot of um, similarity all around the world between the way that this is done. In when you can find out about it, oftentimes they're, they're very, very secretive. But um, that to me seems like there, there could be something to it. The Tibetan tulpas, for instance, thought forms that are um, made solid, you know, by training that these people undertake for very long times. Is is just one one incident, but that's still that's different than the Hollywood idea where you've got a physical human every month when the full moon comes out, physically changing all of its corpuscles, all of its uh, you know it's the fur is instantly growing, um, the bones that would have to be added, the fangs you'd have to be adding 
bone to to the regular teeth to and to uh, make them turn into fangs. That to me has just seemed like it's probably not likely. Um, now that's not really exactly a different cryptid to be sure. fair to your question. Yeah. Um, and so there are now here's here's one just just when I think I have something nailed down. I always thought that Goatman was probably urban legend um, because so many of them re- revolve around urban legends that can relate to one another from place to place. Um, but not that long ago, uh, J. Nathan Crouch is is an author who has um, written a book about Goatman. Yes. And I've actually had some reported to me that um, you know are not related that I had to stop and go, hmm, you know, maybe there are these things. I've had mm-hmm. people report things that look like deer men. Deer um, men. I think I probably don't bel- believe in pig men. <laughs> I don't think so either, yeah. You know, that, that was kind of hard. And there, there are three different locales for pig men. Well, maybe, well, maybe pig men exist in some sort of lab somewhere. Yeah, you know, you never know what people are really doing with ge- the genetic knowledge that we exactly. have now. And I, I kind of tend to go under the the uh, premise that if we know about something, there is a lot more beyond that particular bit that we laymen know about because what's happening in labs is always years ahead of what's published, you know, and uh, the, the scientists usually don't let things out until they've gone through a peer review peer review process in their journals, which can take a couple of years in itself after years of research. And there are you know, laboratories, even when things are banned or outlawed, um, there are places where humanity will generally find a way to do something it wants to do, even if it's not supposed to, if the rewards are great enough. And I'm, I'm sure there are rewards, um, you know, monetary or whatever to people. So it wouldn't surprise me if there is much more advanced genetic work going on than we the public know about right now. And why you would want to have a pig man, I'm not sure. Although I think, I think partly there is work going on in, in that particular quarter because their organs are more similar to ours and some are used already. Exactly, um, yeah. Right. So it, it could be something like that. But as to, um, trying to create hybrid pigs and humans to go out and do battle or, um, you know, whatever, Reason the legends say they're being created. I'm kind of kind of dubious of those things. I agree 100% on that. And by the way, speaking of werewolf movies that you just mentioned, I'm kind of heartbroken, Linda, because that means you didn't like the film Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox. I did like that. Oh, okay, you did. <laughs> that was yeah, a fun um, movie, though. Pardon? I said that was a fun movie. It was, yeah, and I I don't have any objection to uh, things like that. I love Silver Bullet. That's one of my long time. I mean, that's the old Stephen King classic. You know, I thought that was very good. And um, there there have been some other ones. I, one of my little quirky favorites is Ginger Snaps. That was a few years ago, maybe ten years ago, something like yes. that. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So no, I I don't have a problem with that. By the way, there is a film. Of course, the Beast of Bray Road that came out in 2005. Did you see that? Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have a think? copy of it. Mm-hmm. It's nothing like my book. That's the only thing I can say. They took the title and they took the premise of uh, a werewolf, an actual traditional style werewolf, um, showing up in a small town and terrorizing the populace, and then um, just it, the whole thing was 
kind of a gore fest, you know, where, like oh, I've said, okay. in 25 years, I've had one, maybe one other slight example of uh, any definite injuries, and these weren't deaths. They were just, you know, very, very minor, really. And then this movie comes along, which has this creature pretty much killing, um, I don't know how many people died in that movie in horrible, <laughs> terrible, gruesome ways. Oh, no. It's it's not at all like the book or like the actual experiences of any of the people um, from that area. And uh, I think it was, maybe they've cleaned this up, but I know in the early editions, uh, the sheriff's license plate had, had, he had a Texas license plate on his squad car. <laughs> you know, so mm. there are a lot of little things they didn't attend to in terms of the details. But, um, you know, some people have liked it. Um, I didn't have anything to do with it. I'm not... If anybody notices, I'm, I'm not in the credits. Yes, I wasn't not. Mm-hmm. Uh, compensated in any way for it. And that's that's fine. I mean, you can't copyright an idea or a title. And that's, True. Just, that's just part of the democratic freedom that we have. And um, it was the, in their rights to do it. And um, that's what they did. By the way, my favorite werewolf movie is Underworld. I'm sure you've seen the series. Yes, yeah. Yeah, also, um, you know, just another imaginative take on it. And, um, you know, and I've actually written a couple of fantasy novels. Um, one is actually public, co- co-published with my agent. Uh, it's not about werewolves at all, but it does have a sphinx in it. Oh, and that's cool. A, another one of, another one that, um, we're going to be publishing very soon. Um, I'm still doing some, I've been working on it for quite a long time. Um, has a were- does have a werewolf character in it, but it's nothing to do with Bray Road, nothing to do with anything like the present, you know. So, I mean, I, if you can, you can take almost anything and use your imagination as long as there's a clear separation. Nobody reading either of those books would consider under any circumstances that there was any sort of reality to it, you know, and, and they have nothing to do with things that people write me or any of the, uh, the books, uh, my other books are all considered nonfiction because they're reports from people describing things that um, they say actually happened. So, and people tend to get a little mixed up between those two categories sometimes. Definitely. And let's switch gears quickly here, Linda. I definitely wanted to bring up your newest book, Monsters Among Us, correct? That's the name of it? Right, Monsters Among Us, and then it has kind of a long subtitle, An Exploration of Otherworldly Bigfoots, Wolfmen, Portals, Phantoms, and Odd Phenomena. Very nice. You also wrote about UFOs and the lost lizard people of Los Angeles. I would love to talk a little bit about that with you here. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, UFOs are in that too, and this was, um, I started looking more at Los Angeles because over the past few years, I've actually begun to receive more reports from California, mm. um, usually Southern California, surprisingly, because yes. North, Northern California is quite a well-known Bigfoot hotspot. But um, a lot of the dogman reports were coming in from California in the Southern end, and I started thinking, well, um, I should really be examining this a little more closely and started researching and discovered that um, it's very well known that there are lots of tunnels under oh the goodness. city of Los Angeles. So many. Yes, from from subways, all kinds of subway systems, old steam tunnels, you name it. So that's known and accepted. But um, back uh, in earlier in the 1900s, 
there were a couple of gentlemen who came forward and said that they had a new invention that could actually, um, it was kind of like a super metal detector and that could supposedly look through the layers of earth to see treasures or catacombs or tunnels or caverns or whatever. And one of the gentlemen was a Hopi man, um, or, or said that he was, and he claimed that there was a very ancient Hopi legend about um, a separate um, tribe or band from their people that were called the Lizard People, and that they were different than the other Hopi in that they had advanced technology. And now remember, this is like uh, 60 years before our ancient ancients, ancient alien series or any of this stuff began to be talked about. He's talking about ancient people with a very advanced technology and that um, they were supposed to have had some sort of caustic substance that enabled them to just sort of melt these tunnels and passageways out in the ground, and that they had indeed melted out this huge subterranean cavern in the shape of a lizard, that the head started up at Elysian Park and the tail went all the way to the Los Angeles City Library, and it was supposed to be a shelter for some coming calamity. Oh, yes. Was, under, yes. Yeah, they were storing, I believe, uh, food down there yes, during the Cold food, War. Yes, yeah, food, metals, treasure, um, whatever you can think of that these um, thousands of people would need to get through whatever uh, thing that they were expecting. And so um, these gentlemen convinced the city fathers of, um, Los Angeles, that if they were given permission to dig, they could get down and find all this treasure and mummies and um, evidence of these people. By the way, Linda, and, there have been parties in those tunnels. Oh, I've, <laughs> in the tunnels <laughs> under Los Angeles? <laughs> yeah. Well, they never found the exact tunnel these gentlemen were thinking of, but maybe maybe somebody else did later and didn't even realize it. I believe so. But I'm, I'm sure there have been. Yeah, there, we have... We have the same sort of thing in Wisconsin in the Bong Recreation Area. Um, that and that is a, cons- a nature conservation area, not what the name of it sounds like. But um, yeah, and supposedly up to a couple of years ago, there have been places where you're supposed to be able to get down in the LA tunnels. Uh, one is behind an elevator in a particular building in LA, and um, then make your way through these caverns and I'm sure there are plenty of people with that population oh yeah I'm sure there are plenty of people who uh, have done that and and are still doing it but um, unfortunately the two gentlemen were unsuccessful they went down about 230 feet I think at or 250 and then they were stopped um, because people were afraid they were going to uh, wreck the water table or fracture mm. something around and had to and they just sort of melted away into history without ever having found so much as a shred of mummy in those. But for me, the interesting takeaway was this long-ago legend of these um, people that were part of the Hopi yet not and that were different, were said to be different um, and having this technology and just makes you wonder if there was something behind that. I really think so many of these legends started with a, a kernel or more than a kernel of truth and um, have over the centuries either been, in different cases, built up or or pared down, but were still based on some sort of a truth. Um, so I find that fascinating. So do I. I. I really do find that interesting. 
It also reminds me of the underground base of Dose, New Mexico, uh, with Phil Schneider, who had an alleged shootout with uh, aliens underground. Yes, yeah, there have been so many um, rumors and ideas about that place. Uh, it sounds very scary, and, and again, it, it's hard to sort out, um, you know, one from another when, when you get that many, but again, there's likely something going on there, and... The same with Area 51 and um, all of these places that are linked in some way to mm-hmm. to these legends, but we can't really prove it. You know, I haven't really that. talked to you about extraterrestrials before. No, that's true. I don't think we have. Uh, yeah, that's I, fi- I find that kind of weird. I, usually I ask everyone about that. I, I guess I never really... Uh, thought that you would have an interest in that but of course i saw the book and i well there it is so i i do want to ask you though what is your personal opinion on ufos and extraterrestrials have you ever seen any strange lights in the sky yourself anything like that linda well yes if if you read the book you you know uh, one particular thing but uh you know again one of the reasons my father was interested in um, science fiction was that he had been on a pickup truck up in Price County where he was, uh, was, was born, um, riding around. There was a couple of guys in the back of the open truck and some kind of strange light followed him and, and the truck. And that, I think, kind of set him off looking. And he never, he didn't like to talk about it very much. It, it still kind of scared him, you know. And my dad was a pretty brave man. He was used to the woods and hunting. So it, that always impressed me that he was scared about that thing. And um, out of my six siblings, I have two that have seen the triangular mothership type mm. things quite low overhead um, in Wisconsin. And uh, they're people with professional occupations, and they haven't made any big noise about it. Um, but I had the experience uh, just a little over a year ago with a property owner um, of a place that I, who I've, I've been assisting to help investigate all the strange things that have been happening happening in his hayfield uh, for about three years now. And uh, we had a colleague of mine, uh, Sanjay Singhal, with us. So there were three of us um, who were, we were staking out his field at my suggestion one evening, one August evening, it was August before last, because he had some really odd things happening out there up to a certain point, and then everything had kind of stopped. And I said, well, maybe we should just sit out there one night and just see if there's anything else we can observe. And so we were on uh, the other end of the hayfield from where things usually happen, just watching across this whole thing. And it happened to be a night where there were a lot of airplanes coming along the, the local air corridor, and we were kind of watching those. And I was in particular um, keeping an eye on them. And all of a sudden, one of them, instead of continuing on its usual way, and this one was a little lower to the tree line, just sort of stopped and started going backwards, not an oscillation like you would expect to normally see when you're just stargazing, but a definite backwards and forwards. And I said, "Um, guys, that thing is not an airplane, you know, and it's not a star, it's not a planet. And they both looked at it, and when we all three looked at it, it began to move. It left the path that it had been on, it began to move on its own across the hayfield toward us. And we were just just sort of flabbergasted trying to figure out what it was and if we should 
you know, drive somewhere or what our reaction should be. And it came to within about 30 feet of the car. We all saw it. It was about basketball-sized. Um, now, one of the – Sanjay actually saw, a, like, a double sphere. But what we all saw was a basketball-sized white sphere that was sort of glowing. It was not like any sort of nuts and bolts mm-hmm. type of, of actual spacecraft um, sort of UFO, but it was a glowing sphere – and it stopped about 30 feet from the car, about 30 feet up in the air, about the size of a basketball, we all thought. And when it stopped, uh, Sanjay had a huge flashlight. He just almost, and just as I'm reaching to aim my camera, um, he just had the impulse to shine the flashlight at it, and he did. And, you know, if it had been some sort of reflection or whatever, um, that would have immediately washed it out or, or done something to it. But instead... For just this moment, we watched as there was this flashlight beam going into this spherical thing, and it was like it hesitated. We all had the feeling that it was surprised, and this is a very subjective thing, that we all had these feelings, but we did. We felt it was there was surprise and hesitation, and then it just sort of powered itself out. And then each, we, we all just yelled out loud various different words <laughs> that I won't repeat. Um, because I don't blame it was, you. It was so obviously something that, and the property owner um, happens to be a, a retired high school physics and math teacher, you know, and it's just, he says, that can't have been. There's no way in our physics world that whatever that was did what we just saw. Yeah, that's a very special experience, by the way, because it's also a shared experience. Right. Very important. Right, with three fairly well um, trained observers, you know, and and uh, in a position to observe. We weren't driving. We had a good, good long look at it, and all of those things make it a, a little bit unusual. But um, yeah, we were all pretty shaken up by that. It was it was very very strange. Yeah, and usually that's sort of the reaction people get when they see something like that. Both of my parents saw a triangle craft or a triangle shaped craft above their home and it scared my mom so much. She went back into religion after that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those things that can really open your eyes, I guess you can say. When you see something that you know our scientists, our present scientists and science either can't or won't explain and that you've taught cannot exist and yet you experience it, that is pretty much a paradigm and a life changer. You know, and so many people who've seen the strange creatures also will tell me the same thing. They'll say, I, you know, it changed my, my life and the way I look at the world. And not a day goes by that I don't think about it. And I wonder why it was that I saw it or that my wife and I saw it. Because very often there is more than one viewer of, of any of these phenomena. And it's just something that uh, you... You, you shouldn't have to necessarily experience, but what I've learned is that there's a difference between intellectually believing people and then viscerally experiencing it yourself. Oh, yes, of course. Once you experience it, it's kind of a game changer, no doubt. Right, right. Yeah, and so speaking, of, speaking of which, when you talked to certain eyewitness accounts of, of these uh, incidences, did you at first believe them, or were you skeptical? Well, 
you know, I, I um, always presume that every person's different, and I like to listen to their whole story. Um, I will usually, if possible, if it's somebody that I can get together face-to-face with, that's the best. You know, I like to go and see the place, interview the people in person. Um, next best would be to have phone conversations with them. And then other times, you know, if nothing else, I'll just um, go through a protracted email exchange and, and ask questions and that sort of thing. And most of the time, I'll tell you one thing, working for 10 years for the newspaper, interviewing anywhere from one to five people a week for various things, does help with is getting that sort of gut sense as to whether people are putting you on or not. And that's been, it's not 100% foolproof, but it has been a help. And sometimes people will just sort of trip themselves up. Not very often. Very, Most of the people who call me are sincere and uh, still just wanting to, they'll, they'll say, I just want to tell somebody who won't call me crazy. You know, that's really most people's main motivation. But um, occasionally there will be somebody that um, I feel I can't trust or that I have suspicions about. And they're, luckily, again, they're, they're very few and, and far between. I've always wondered, how do you keep these topics so fresh when you're writing this? It seems like you've really written so many books. And I, I, I personally think that's incredible, though. Well, thanks. Um, and, you know, I, all I can say is that Maybe maybe my approach is is helpful in that way because again when I write when I write a book I'm not just trying to tell some scary stories I'm trying to put together some sort of collection of possibilities that people can grab onto and wrestle with themselves you know and I try to show how each one of these stories does not occur in a vacuum there's always a place that may have ancient cultural artifacts or other modern um, human things, places like crossroads or bridges where um, in other cultures are known for uh, are known as places where strange creatures occur, um, odd geological or geographical formations that may have strange electromagnetic properties, um, no, local legends, um, you know, if they're uh, what what has happened in history with the people there, you put all of that together with someone's experience and to me that's how things really come alive and come alive in in the reader's mind too because they're seeing more of a a picture you know it's not just oh the monster jumped out i screamed yikes that was scary it's this complex happening and then you have to sit back and and for me it's just interesting to look and say well maybe that related to this and sometimes you can get a whole new take on things that way definitely and I also was wondering, are there any cryptids that you are interested in other than the Beast of Bray Road? Oh, sure. Right from the very beginning, when I started getting letters from people, um, after that article was printed, people were sending me their sightings of Bigfoot, large birds, uh, like Mothman or like Thunderbird, uh, are the two probably most familiar names for those. Um or even even the deer man or whatever. I'm fascinated by all of them, and I've actually done a lot of uh, Bigfoot local Bigfoot research, especially since the very beginning, and have been tracking um, the uh, the south southeastern Wisconsin Bigfoot sightings for quite a while. In fact, I had a 
an article on there in David Weatherly's recent journal, Wood Knocks. Um, I wrote about the southern Wisconsin Bigfoot sightings that I've been tracking. I have going reports going back to the 60s and possibly earlier. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested in all of them. It just happens that I'm best known for the uh, unknown upright canines due to that original story. Um, yes. There's yeah. no favorites, though, right? Favorite creatures, you yeah. mean? Or? Uh-huh. Favorite creature that you like to write about. There's none in, in existence. You like all of these? I do like them all. I probably like um, you know, Bigfoot or Sasquatch and the dog. Well, I know. Bigfoot, the dog man, and I'm very fascinated lately by the giant stork or crane-like birds with 20-foot wingspans. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, I, in fact, I started out, uh, my previous book, um, American Monsters, actually starts out with a section on flying things, and that really broadened my um, horizon on, on that topic, but it starts out with a really great... Monsters by Air. Right, Monsters by Air, and the name of the, that book is American Monsters, A History of Monster Lore, Legends, and Sightings in America. So, And it has three sections, Monsters by Air, by Water, and by Land. Yeah, that's a good book, by the way. That's the one I do currently own. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a great book. And what's your opinion on Bigfoot communicating with, uh, I guess you could say, certain people that have experienced the Bigfoot right in their presence? Most people talk about, I guess you can say, Bigfoot being telepathic to some degree. Do you um, believe in that sort of thing, Linda? Well, you know, telepathy is something that... um has been studied in the laboratories. Our government has taken it seriously. Other governments have taken it seriously. Um, one of the first uh, books that I uh, that I read about these things, this was back in, I think, the early 70s. There was a book called Psychic Discoveries Behind the Iron Curtain. And um, the, it showed that Russia, people in Russia were taking these sorts of things very seriously, um, our government and others had projects for remote viewers. Many, many people that I know have personally had psychic experiences, have had, um, have seen, many, many people have seen loved ones right at the point of death or later. So there's a lot to that whole area that I don't think you can say, no, there's no such thing, and that then you should assume, no, Bigfoot couldn't possibly be giving people telepathic messages. Um, I think it's been shown in, to be in sort of the realm of possibility. And just because I haven't received a telepathic message from a Bigfoot that I can identify personally um, doesn't mean other people haven't. You know, I, I don't like to judge other people's experiences when they seem credible and, and sincere and, um, you know, have a, a, a pretty good consistent story to tell about it. Um, I could say a lot more on that topic, you know, and, and I have in my books. But sure, um, the the Bigfoot do generally seem to have abilities that you wouldn't expect, and some people just some people believe that um, they're capable, like tigers and whales and certain other animals, of producing infrasound, you know, very low sound ranges or or even ultrasound, higher ones. And infrasound has been shown in the laboratory to produce all kinds of of uh, reactions in people from illness to hallucinations to um, hearing voices, all kinds of things like that. 
So if that's true, uh, you know, some people think it's maybe a specialized form of infrasound that makes people think they're having messages. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think that those are all topics that should be talked about and not poo-pooed as just um, something that nobody should ever discuss. Yeah, and I agree 100% once again with that assessment. Um, do you ever plan on being on television again, perhaps with a show? I think you would be excellent if you had your own show, perhaps on the History Channel. It seems like they would definitely do that sort of thing. Well, thank you. Um, I don't, I don't have any such plans. Uh, I actually don't like seeing myself on TV. Oh, and, no. Um, often, I've been, I've been on a lot of television yeah, shows. Yeah, you, you really have. You know, many, I'm not even sure exactly how many anymore. There are a couple that are still, that have been shot and, you know, and will still be run. And, and I've had conversations with producers now and then and just hasn't worked out. And that's, um, I'm pretty busy with the books and everything else. So it, that's not anything that I sit around and pine for. Sure. I, I just think it would, I just think it would work out great for you. Well, thank you. Um, you never know. I have done a radio show in the past. Um, actually from a regular broadcasting station that we also had as a podcast. Oh, okay. You can find that it was called Uncanny Radio, and I had a co-host, Stephen Sullivan, a.k.a. uh, Man Wolf. Man (laughs) Wolf. I like that. Yeah, and we we had some uh, a lot of really fun episodes, but um, as you know, running a podcast or a successful radio show of any kind is work. It takes preparation. Oh, yes. And it's not something you just get up there and people think, oh, you just sit down and turn on the dial and talk to somebody once for an hour once a week. It's it's really much more difficult than that. Plus, I had to drive to this broadcasting station where we where we did it, and at the time it was just a bit much for me. So, um, you know, I I have had pe- some people talk to me about that sort of thing, but um, you know, it's I'm really more interested in the creatures, and I have plenty of work right now anyway. So. Yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, Ancient Aliens has been going on for such a long time. I always yeah. I always wonder when that show's going to go away. <laughs> well, you know, they keep making discoveries. They yeah, um, they do. I'm just totally surprised. It, it almost seems like it's been around for 10 years now. Yeah, it and it's been quite a few years. I don't remember exactly how many and I have a lot of uh colleagues and and friends that are um on that show quite frequently. But, um, you know, I just, I'm sort of of the opinion, maybe because of, of the organic way that the whole Beast of Bray Road thing grew in my life, that if I meant to do it, it's going to happen and grow and will just be sort of a, it's nothing I would push for, but um, if it's meant to happen, it'll it'll just present itself. You would definitely have an audience, by the way. Oh, thank you. And also, I went on your website, and I'm looking at that newspaper article in the drawing Mm-hmm. of the the wolf. Right. I like right. that. It's cool. Thank you. Yeah, and you know, I've often said, I mean, I was on a deadline to write that and I was writing the story and providing the the sketch and I was, you know, interviewing, re-interviewing the witness about it and I think I got the legs wrong on it. And I've often said if I had known how many times that thing would be reproduced and where it would go and how many people would see it, I probably would have tried to Beg for another day to work on it. <laughs> yeah, you know? that, that's another thing I was going to say. Did you even imagine that you were going to get no. this sort of reaction? Never. 
Never. And I remember my editor and I having this conversation um, the week before it went out. We were, and we were saying, kind of chuckling and saying, yeah, people around here will have fun with it for two weeks and then it'll just be forgotten. You know, that'll be the end of it. And uh, more wrong words, words wronger than that have never been spoken. Yeah, here we are. So, exactly. 25 yeah, no, years. It is not what any of us expected, uh, me least of all. What did your parents think about that article? Were they proud of their daughter? Yeah, you know, I mean, they like I said, they're the open-minded, encouraging type of parents, and they thought it was great to see me on Inside Edition and, you know, the other shows that it was on all the Milwaukee stations right away and then spread out from there. You were on the Sean Hannity show, correct? Yes. How did yes. that go? I, I never seen that footage. That's really a beautiful little piece. Um, I think. I want to see that. Yeah, it's still available. I think you can find it on YouTube and some other places. They did an extremely good job of crystallizing um, some of the main events and one of the more recent ones at that time um, without exaggerating or um, fabricating anything or having to make it gee whiz scary witnesses. You know, they didn't do any of that. It was. A very well produced and informative and yet very entertaining uh, little piece of journalism that I've, I've always really thought that they did one of the best jobs of anyone. Monster Quest was great too. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I enjoy Monster Quest. Was Hannity nice to you, by the way? Um, well, I, I actually didn't talk to him personally. Oh, okay. But he was, but he was nice about the topic. You know, he wasn't like trying to uh, discourage it or, or make fun of it. And uh, back when the Inside Edition came out, Bill O'Reilly was still the host of that. Oh, yes. And he, and he did at the end of the show, you know, just kind of sort of roll his eyes a little bit and poo-poo it a little. <laughs> and and uh, Sean Hannity wasn't like that at all. He was just like, you know, well, this is an interesting thing. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that they did a very good job. Mm, that's interesting to hear. Hannity, yeah. Hannity being more open-minded than O'Reilly. Well, at at, at the... When it comes to this topic, they were. I don't know if you could use that generally in, in any way. I would True. Presume. I would not presume. Yes, I would not make those type of assumptions either. No. But it's but, great to speculate, though. Yeah, and just the fact that actually the Inside Edition show was also very good. Um, the reporters they sent, and they did quite a, uh, a job of, of remaining fair and, uh, again, not exaggerating the stories or anything. By the way, are you still living out? Somewhere in the woods, I, I assume. Well, uh, my husband and I recently moved uh, to a, a more city-like atmosphere, but we're still um, backing up to a nature preserve, and I'm still very close to those woods I where bet, we haven't been for a long time. I bet you miss it. I miss certain things, except um, I know I can go back any time that I want to, and it's not very far. So, And I have different woods behind me that have a different ecosystem, and it's kind of like, oh, boy, a new chance to study what's going to happen in this place. For sure. Now, Linda, are there any other future plans coming up for you? Anything new in the works? Well, I'm, I'm talking about... Conferences, book. nothing? Um, yeah, there I have conferences in the works that um, I, haven't, I haven't put them up in my calendar yet, things that are being worked out. So um, there will be things happening. I don't have... Uh, anything definite that I can say publicly right now about any of them, but um, I do. I am talking about another book with uh, you know my agent, my publisher right now that has a very a completely different tack. It's still um, 
will include strange creatures, but in a in a sort of a different way. So we'll we'll see. It's it's a different sort of account. Awesome. And one more last bit here. I was actually really interested in that piece you put together about Roy Smith's uh, his sighting that yes mm-hmm, that mystery object. Well, if you're at my um, LindaGodfrey.com site, he did decide that he wanted to go public with his name. And if you scroll down a bit, you can find out you can you can see a little video that I put on there um, that he made. Oh, see it now. That he made just for that, and you can meet him. Um, here are just a few of, of uh, thing a few things in his own words, and um, read a little bit more about it right there. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. I do have to give him lots of respect for putting himself out there like that. Yeah, well, you know, he just said finally, he said, you know, um, I'm the age that I am. I'm retired. They can't fire me from my job anymore. Um, I'd like people to understand that this is real. And, I mean, he and I have really done some unusual experiments out there, and there have been some <laughs> Did really, you? Amazing, really amazing things happening. Yeah, um, he's got literally thousands of trail cam photos. Um, we, which we arranged every which way and he had, um, deer, he would take deer, roadkill deer carcasses and, and, um, you know, place them and uh-huh. see what happened. Did you ever I, see anything at all? Well, things did come out. Yeah. You'll see in, in, in the book, if you've, if you've got the book, uh, and actually I put this on my blog too, because we had, um, something triggering the trail cam from across the field that looked sort of like, from a distance, um, a blackford, one of the round-headed Bigfoot that I've actually personally seen myself, um, not in that same field, but other places. And then we got it a year later, um, what looks like the same creature in a similar part of the field. And that came, that second one came in too late to include in the book. So I put both of them on my blog and you can go there and see those. So lots of extraordinary things happened out there. And I say Bigfoot-like creature. I can't say, yeah, that's Bigfoot. But um, when you look at it, you'll you'll see there. There's a definite. It's hard to figure out what else it possibly could have been. Definitely. And I'm not sure if you will want to answer this question, but how do you feel about today's current state of America in terms of society and where we're headed? Well, are you kind of referring to the recent elections? Sure. Elections. Everything. Or um, just society. Just the way everything's well, been going here in the states. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's been hard for a lot of people. Um, you know, a lot of people I know have been out of work. My husband, who's a civil engineer, um, lost his job when his the company he was working for just completely did away with their whole civil engineering wing because oh, there wow. wasn't enough construction going on to really employ them. That's terrible. Um, I, I think a lot of people, yeah, are struggling. Um, I heard recently that. Um, the, the value of, of what, it's not inflation exactly, but well, I'm, actually I'm going to skip that statement because I'm going to get into economics and sound stupid because I'm not an economist. But, okay. but, um, it does seem to me that a lot of people are, are kind of worried and, and, uh, you know, face it, we had two presidential candidates that had extremely high disapproval ratings for many people, um, yep. and both of them probably for pretty good reasons, and yet, um, you know, that, that was what we had for candidates. So a lot of people, I think, and, and people that I know, friends of mine have been saying, yeah, that sort of shows what state we're in. And, you know, maybe we're getting 
um, different levels of candidates because that's reflecting, you know, either our fears or who we've become as a people. I don't know. Um, but I, I do think there's, um, unrest and, and people are wondering what's going to be happening. Sure. And just like I told Mr. John B. Wells when I interviewed him last year, I told him that this election was going to be a bit of a circus and we've got front row tickets to it. Yeah, that was one way of, one way of looking <laughs> at it. It was, it was never dull. You can say that. It was pretty entertaining, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not always in a good way, but. No. Um, not but at all, it, but, you know. It, it sort of made, you know, and I, I often thought, well, on one hand, um, studying strange unknown creatures may just seem very inconsequential and um, in the face of the great issues we've all been facing nationally. But on the other hand, it's nice to be able to retreat into the woods oh, with yeah. with some people and read about Another, a totally other type of subject matter that's open to everyone, no matter who they are, what culture, what culture they're from. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with your politics. It's just almost a, a great diversion in a way. So, um, I, I felt good about being able to help people maybe put their minds somewhere else for a little yeah, while. Yeah, of course. That's what we all want to do ultimately take their minds off of their troubles and their daily struggles in life. Well, and I assume you're speaking of yourself as the, uh, in the radio. Uh, sure, yeah. And you too, though. I mean, you're also right. providing lots of great information, and I'm sure lots of people out there appreciate your work for you going out there and putting yourself out there in public the way you do. Well, you know, it just seems to me that the world would be terribly dull if there were no mysteries. If we knew everything, if we did know everything, how dull that would be. Very boring, yeah. <laughs> By the way, Linda, before I let you go, did you happen to see that strange video of a UFO allegedly coming down Earth and through some sort of a wormhole as described? Was that just recent? Yeah, it just happened not very long ago, it's um, going viral all of a sudden. It's um, Many websites, many conspiracy-type websites have been, I guess you can say, putting it out there. And I've seen the clip. It's actually pretty cool. Even if it's fake, it still looks pretty good. Yeah, I caught just a glimpse of it. And I honestly, um, because because I've had a death in my family the last week, I have yes. not been online mm-hmm. um, you know, as, as much. And so I haven't been paying the full attention I normally would. So it's sort of on the periphery of my consciousness, but I, I haven't had time to really sit and look and study it. Interesting indeed. And uh, once again, I, I apologize for um, thinking that you would actually have been paying attention to what's been going on on the interwebs, the very unimportant Internet, I should say. Oh, no, I, you know, not at all. I still, I still have my interest and I, I've checked in, in here and there, but, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I have been, I have not been able to give any sort of full attention to those things just yeah, in the past week or so. It's been, I don't blame uh, you. It's very, very difficult, especially this time of the year. Yeah, it, it does. Well, it, it's never easy, you know, whatever type of year I think to lose, um, a loved one in your family, but, um, it, it's a little more hectic making arrangements, perhaps. Yeah, it's never a good situation. Um, you did mention consciousness just now. Are you someone who is a lucid dreamer by any chance? I have been, yeah. I, I actually have been. 
Those dreams can be very impactful in our lives. I remember when my grandmother had passed away. I did have quite a few dreams about her that still remain with me to this day, and that was back when I was possibly seven or eight years old. Yeah, yeah, and that's a that's a pretty common thing. I, that happened to me when my my dad passed, uh, which is I think about thirteen years ago. Um, I I did have that experience with with him. He would be I'd be dreaming along, you know, and then all of a sudden he would just show up, and I'd realize he was there, kind of trying to communicate with me, sort of on the edge of the dream. Um, you know, I haven't experienced that with my mother yet, but mm-hmm. you know, there's you probably uh, plenty, you probably can. It's possible. I, I said you probably can. It's possible. Yeah, it it could happen. You know, I I don't usually seek those things out. They just sort of occur. But um, I can tell you sort of an interesting little story. When my sure. husband and I were first married, um, we were both still in college, living in Platteville, and we had a little upper flat. Um, the lower part was occupied by two elderly sisters who were very sharp cookies, even though they were in their mid to late 80s. Uh, one had been the dean of a large girls' school in Chicago. Mm-hmm. The other one um, was also a, a teacher. They read three Chicago newspapers every day, um, perfectly sharp. And one of them um, had fallen ill while we were living there. And the other one, the one who was head of the dean's of the girls' school, um, was sitting in their living room in broad daylight um, reading the paper or something. And she looked up and sitting across from her, um, right in the, the light of the window was their third sister, a younger one that had died early of cancer. And sitting there looking at Harriet and smiling, and Harriet said she she was beautiful. She looked like she did when she was in her 20s. And she was so impressed. And she said she knew that Mary was coming to tell her that the other sister, Pearl, was going to be joining her soon. She said she just knew that was why she was there. And ah. then... And then she faded away. And um, this lady, Harriet, was the steely-minded kind of person that did not want to accept her own experience without verification. And so um, she called up a private college that actually had a professor specializing in um, parapsychology and uh, had him come and told him the whole story. And he explained to her that this was fairly common, that they often do look younger when they come back in this and there were many other points, you know, that she was finally satisfied that, yes, this was a real experience that she had. Do you believe in reincarnation, Linda? Um, not really, at, you know, at, at least not in the way that um, it's generally understood. I, I really, I'm a pretty staunch Lutheran, you know, and so I, I'm pretty much, when, when I go, I'm planning to go straight, straight to the Lord straight. and... That's going to be it. Straight to the light? <laughs> That's fine with me. Definitely. Pardon? I said straight to the light? Straight, yeah, straight straight there, yep. Very so, nice. And no experiences with astral projection, nothing like that? Um, well, that's a whole other can of worms. I've, I've had a few times where I feel that I've been out of my body um, going to investigate something, and it didn't have anything to do with strange creatures or anything like that. Really? I, I, I've had... Um, just a few a few different experiences throughout my lifetime. Well, for, I can give you a brief example. I had the flu. Um, this was back before I had children, so it was it was a while ago. And I was I was home. I was lying in bed. I was really feeling awful. And 
we were remodeling and I was thinking that there was a, 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 a light fixture that I wanted that was at the Sears store in a nearby town. And the next thing I knew, I was kind of traveling over the highway that I recognized it as the highway ah, yes. to this other town and went to the Sears store and located the particular light fixture that I wanted. But I, when I woke up, I thought, well, that must have been wrong because that's not where they have the light fixture. Well, when I went to the Sears store, they had moved the light fixtures. Ah, and the I one see. that I wanted, the one that I wanted was there. That's pretty wild right there. Yeah. So, I mean, I have had experiences. Yeah. Some of these experiences can be very powerful and very realistic too. When you are, let's say, lucid dreaming, I remember, I, I almost remember waking up a couple of times in tears over a few, I would consider nightmare rides. That's what I call them. These night terrors for sure. Um, very powerful lucid dreams I was having and I still do have today. And I know there's lots of people out there listening who don't even remember their dreams. Isn't that kind of shocking, Linda? Yeah. Um, I, I've always had a pretty vivid dream life and I think that's one reason though that I'm prepared to be more open-minded toward people because I know I've had experiences that I can't explain and that have awed me. And so um, I feel like if if that happened to me, why wouldn't it be happening to other people? Why would I suspect other people of, of uh, you know, making things up when, when I know I've had things that someone else might not believe? True. And, Linda, do you dream in black and white or in color? Oh, I would say color because I'll remember specific colors. Ah, oh, that's nice. You are lucky. Most people out there only dream in black and white for the most part. I dream in color, however. Okay. Yeah, well, it's pretty radical I, stuff too. I guess you know. Well, my my actual degree is in art and art art education. Um, with some, I had some later work in library science too. But um, being an, and I am an artist, and being an artist, I, I often wonder if that affects. You know, I'm very very tuned into color. And um, maybe that maybe that has something to do with why I dream in color. You strike me as someone who's highly intuitive. Um, possibly, possibly. Although I'm sure wrong a lot of times too. I <laughs> I never consider myself infallible, but once in a while I'll I'll get an intuition and and it'll happen. No so. premonitions, anything like that. Premonitions. I've had those in my life too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Isn't that wild? You know, they say that's sort of like a hereditary type thing. Having those um, yeah, type of experiences. I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't think either of my parents were, but um, there was a time when, um, again, this was my early years. Of, I think I've been married about three years, and I had this vivid, horrible dream that my youngest brother, who was still quite little, um, was sitting and watching TV with um, some of my other siblings, and then suddenly had a horrible, um, I could see blood and I could see pain and him screaming. And it was so vivid. I was supposed to go and teach an art class that day, and I canceled it um, so I could call my mother and talk to her for a few minutes. And I said, by the way, how is uh, uh, Timmy doing? And she said, what? Oh, he's fine. He's in there watching TV. And then we talked for another minute, and then she said, wait, Tim's screaming. I have to go hang up. And it turned out um, he had a burst appendix, Ooh. and she had to take him into the hospital. Ouch. And she said, if I hadn't said that to her, she probably would have just thought, oh, it's a bellyache and, you know, given him a Rolaids or, <laughs> you uh -huh. know, some hot, warm water or, or something like that, whereas he needed immediate surgery. Oh, no. 
That's, so I, yeah. I, mean, I, I can't explain that any other way. Yeah, we have these things sometimes that we experience that we really have no answer for. The fact that sometimes I even know when someone is going to call or text my cell phone. Now, that's unusual, too. Right, right. And I think people have, I think scientists have done experiments. And I'm sorry, I don't have a reference in my head for it. But they did one where um, people were sat in rooms with telephones. And in another one, they were, they were shown, um, they were going to be shown certain images. And when they examined it, people got so that they would either reach for the phone or whatever, push the button, whatever it was, um, before they should have been able to know what the answer was. Mm-hmm. So this, there was this precognition that was shown on kind of a minute but a very reliable, um, re- reliably occurring scale. Rupert Sheldrake does uh, this sort of study. Right. right, dogs that know when their masters are coming home. Mm-hmm. I actually had reached out to him recently. And I think he might be on early on uh, early on the show next year. Oh, that's fabulous! I'll have to listen for that. Oh, it's going to yeah. be good. Yeah, I'm very impressed with his work. Me too, definitely. And Linda, before I let you go, I, I did want to also ask you about all these conspiracy theories that have been going around. Um, not anything specifically, but um, what's your take on on that? Do you feel that? We could actually trust the mainstream news media out there? No. <laughs> I, I, I don't totally because, um, you just, you, there are just too many instances where, um, people have agendas or there are other things going on. And with the internet, you know, this whole thing with, um, Google and the fake news stories that they're going to start trying to put little warnings on the fake news stories. If a certain number of people will flag them as fake news stories. So you're never, we know that not everything on there is real. Normally people, if they look things up, even just casually can, can tell, but most people don't look. They just see it, kind of grab it and go with it. You know, that's just the way the internet works. So, um, I, I really think there's a lot of information out there that's not well vetted or investigated as it should be. And then that just leaves things open for disinformation and misinformation to kind of get put into the mix. Well said, Linda. And I do want to thank you for being on the program, End of Days, the Michael Deacon program. Always a pleasure and always uh, always an honor to have you on here. You're welcome. Well, the, the pleasure and the honor are mine. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you, Linda. Please go ahead now and and feel free to plug anything you want, any upcoming events if you have those. Uh, please feel free to do so. Sure. Well, everything is usually right at lindagodfrey.com. And again, there's no W's, just lindagodfrey.com. You'll find my blog with a lot of um, incidents that have happened to me and other people that haven't gotten into my books in some cases. Um, and, and just, uh, miscellaneous, there's another list of some recent podcasts that I've done. Um, you'll find an, a page with my book list and bios, and there is a form where if you want to report something to me, you can find that form and it will send it. So, um, everything is pretty much at lindagodfrey.com. The one really special thing that I'm very excited about, I just got my author copies, is that people have asked me forever about getting my books in audio. And my first one ah, is yes. now is now just out in audio. It's 
the um, American Monsters book, which is out there now, and you can look it up. Just look look up American Monsters audio book, Linda Godfrey, and it should pop up. It's so new, I don't have a link or anything yet on my screen. Again, with the past week's events, I'm a little behind in posting, but uh, my first audio book is out, um, American Monsters. That's so wonderful. Yes, I'm that's excited something. About that. Yeah, that's something every every writer, author, publisher, everyone needs to get on that audio books. That's kind of where the future is now. I do get a lot of requests, so I tend to believe you on that part. Yeah, that's the way we're headed. But I I know you know for sure that that's kind of the route you got to take. Yeah. Um. If you I keep thinking, well, if this is what readers want, that you have to put the material where they can and will access it and want to access it. So, yeah, I totally agree. By the way, do you have a female or male voiceover actor doing the reading? It's a female. Perfect. Yeah, that that's a good choice. I think so. Mm-hmm. For this material, I think so. Yeah, and and because the author's a, a female, it just seems more natural. Appropriate, yes. So once again, Linda, I, I do want to thank you tremendously for being here tonight. I respect your time, and of course, I respect you tremendously as well. And I will definitely touch base with you again in the near future. Thanks so much, Michael. Please do. I'll, I'll look forward to that. No problem, Linda. God bless. Same to you. Many blessings in the new year. And a Merry Christmas. Mahalo. Good night, Linda. Good night. And that was Linda Godfrey, folks. Great guest, right? Did you have fun? I know I did. Always an honor and always a pleasure to talk to Linda Godfrey here on the program. And of course, I'm looking at the time. Yes, that means it's time for a little break here on the program. So I'm going to let this thing run around here. I'm going to play some music. I think it's a great time for you to go to the bathroom and, of course, get something to drink and join me back here with Jim Mallard. So stay tuned, everybody. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Look at that power. Look at that wealth. Look at the force. And we got this little band of people, you know. And then after I gave my talk, I wandered over to, we had a fence up and we had a display of pictures of Filipinos who have been tortured and found dead, grisly photos by the Marcos people. And a, and, a, and a Marco security guy, a Filipino thug, plain clothes, comes walking up. And he looks at the pictures, standing next to me. And he goes, and he sort of smirks. Like, you know. And I never had such a feeling I wanted to really, you know, give him one upside his head. But I've outgrown those days. And I'm saying, look at this. They got it all. What are we going to do? And look what's happened three years later. Just look what's happened. This incredible transition. Democratic forces mobilized. And this Marco is just blown away. Just remember who has the source of power. When the people get it together, they have a strength like nothing seen. When democratic forces move, the forces of reaction must retreat. And these great generals and dictators and presidentes who sit there in their big palaces with their boodle and their corruption and their bayonets and their guns and their spies everywhere, they get thrown off just as a stallion would thrown off a little fly. So we speak truth to power. Just remember that. Speak truth to power. Mobilize. Organize. Never be sad. Remember what the great Italian communist Antonio Gramsci said, you have a pessimism of the mind, but an optimism of the will. You see the worst, you consider the worst, you work against it, but in here you work for what is freedom, what is justice, what is right. It is our destiny, it is our future, the future itself depends upon it. And welcome 
Back to the program. Hi. Did you enjoy your little break there? I know I did. Mmm. Feels good. Right? So, I talked to Linda Godfrey on the first half of the program there. That was a good time. And now Jim Mallard joins me here. Let me bring him on to the program. Catch up with our old friend here, Mr. Jim Mallard. Jim, are you alive? I may be alive. I don't know. It's too early to tell you. What time is it over there, by the way? 1 a.m.? It has just turned 1 a.m. That is horrible. Yeah, it's way past my bedtime, but we'll make it work tonight. It really is. Good thing it's a Saturday. Yes, and I thank (laughs) you for being here tonight on this program. Very late where you're at. It's 10 p.m. here, Pacific Standard Time. Welcome to End of Days, the Michael Deacon program. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, yes. You were the first person who ever interviewed me, I, I recall. Yeah, well, that's kind of shocking and scary, and what does it say about everybody else out there, but I digress. We hide in, in the dark corners of the interwebs. Well, maybe you do. It seems like I get random requests anymore. I was on a comedy podcast last week. I have no idea why. Jesus, but, really? Yeah, it was fun. They wanted to talk paranormal, and I, I made them laugh a little bit, so that's all good. So. Yeah, I was just on another uh, podcast myself with Ryan Gable. The secret, good guy. The Secret Teachings. Yeah, fun show. I had a great time there. And during that interview, that that was pretty, pretty frightening for me, being interviewed by him, talking about my experiences with the paranormal. I was sitting there full of anxiety when I was telling those stories, and I was getting, like, these weird flashbacks in my mind. Another one of those guys that stays to the shadows, but does a hell of a show. Yeah, he's good. I, I really like him a lot. But, Jim, can you tell us a little bit about yourself here for those who don't know who you are. Well, I'm the host of the Mallard Report, the fastest hour in Paranormal Talk Radio. i uh, paranormal investigator, um, somewhat becoming a conspiracy conspiracist. I don't know. I don't know how that's happened, but it seems like if you look at the shows that I've done in the last six weeks, they're all wrapped around one conspiracy or another. So I guess the, the, the cat's out of the bag. It's taking over. Um, you're a conspiracy theorist now, Jim? Is that what you're telling me? I might be. I, I mean, it, it's interesting to watch the web of these stories kind of intertwine and see where the facts are or what you think are facts and what people want you to believe and what other things are out there. And you start moving the Rubik's Cube around and you go, well, there's something to it. And then you then you turn it to something else and you go, oh, well, I, but I had three red ones on this side. Now they're all gone. Where did they go? So you start looking at yes. that a little bit differently. <laughs> For That's sure. a good analogy for these conspiracies, especially like if you go 9-11, Sandy Hook, and all the like ones within a certain period of time. People are very emo- people get very emotional about those, too. Because they're so present. Now, if I told you about the conspiracy around Pearl Harbor, they wouldn't be nearly as passionate about it. Of course not. Most of those people have no idea what went on there. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I didn't have an, any idea until I seen it a couple weeks ago, and I started looking, and I'm like, oh, whoa, wait. There you go. So, so Jim, where exactly are you from? I'm from western Pennsylvania. That's the Pittsburgh side of Pennsylvania for people who are need the big city location. And I'm north. I'm north of there, in the center of the Rust Belt, between Buffalo, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh. So it's not hard to find you, huh? Uh, hard enough, but easy enough at the same time. <laughs> yes, sir. Not, nothing with nothing great within 20 miles, and nothing really exceptional within 100. But you know, we we digress. <laughs> For sure. So, Jim, in your adolescence, um, these subjects, I guess you can say the paranormal and the UFOs, these kind of things, were they prevalent in your early years? Well, 
not to a point of focus. I mean, I did have ex- well, I did have experiences as a child talking to headstones, but did I don't you? remember. I did that, but I don't remember doing that as a child, but I still do it today. So I'm assuming it's much the same way as what I did back in the day. Uh, UFOs, kind of, I watched some X-Files, so I don't remember much of it because it was so, so long ago. Such so a much blur, stuff, but, right? Yeah, such a blur between now and then when it originally aired and so many commercial breaks ago. But, uh, so I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't disinterested in it, but I wasn't buried neck deep in it either as I am now. Do you recall when? This influence came into your life, Jim? Oh, yeah. There was a very clear tipping point that made the paranormal come back into my life. Really? Yeah, it was when my son was uh, seven or six months old and we were in Gettysburg and he started babbling at something. Oh, yes. It seems like there's so many sightings there. Yeah, and then the next day, this is where the tipping point really happened because I still had that in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, we're never in Gettysburg. We came here for fun to have an experience, whatever. And the next day, I did have a, a full-blown experience myself that I'm still kind of baffled by. We were at Devil's Den, and now uh, if you haven't done the history research on Devil's Den, I have done it since. There's a guy that they paid to bury bodies, but he kind of just shoved them in the cracks of Devil's Den because of the rock formation. And there's just some big cracks in there, and he shoved some bodies in there. So it's not a cool place. I oh mean, my. kind of a cool place to look at, but it's kind of a chilling reminder of some of the things that went on after the battle. And um, so I was standing on top of the rock formation, and I'm like, oh look reenactor i need my picture because you know this was before this was 2008 but i'm like need a picture for reenactor be cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i started headed that way with my son because that was kind of the moment i and then i realized by the time i get close enough to where he was i can't find him anymore so i'm scouring i'm looking all over this and there's one way in and there's one way out i'm looking at i'm looking in cars now so i'm just bound to time to get this stupid picture because he is the battle he was the reenactor out there that day i can't find him yeah, that all. must have been pretty strange. And I'm looking around, and I started asking people, where'd he go? And they're looking at me like, who are you talking about? And that's when it hit me. When I when the second person said, who are you talking about? That I had seen something that uh, nobody else had. Jeez. <laughs> in the middle of daylight. I mean, day, broad daylight, probably 11, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, yeah, that's kind of a rare type of sighting. Not everyone experiences that sort of thing during the daylight hours. It's usually at nighttime. Yeah, full color. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm off ready to take a picture of him, not just some kind of little thing. Out of, no, this was this was this was special, and I, I I think about it often, and I wonder why hasn't it happened since. But that's never there. <laughs> Have you seen all those videos out there on YouTube? Oh, I've seen yes, I've seen all the hoax and all this other stuff. I haven't seen anything on video that nothing I compelling. Yeah. Speaking of which, there was some sort of video on YouTube. Uh, just recently, um, I, I was talking about it earlier with Linda Godfrey, uh, Linda Godfrey, yeah. And, um, something like a UFO coming to Earth through some sort of a wormhole in the sky. You know, I've seen a story about that, but I didn't click on it to watch it because all I, all I know is just probably Photoshop because that just most, seems to be the nature. Most likely. Whatever other program you want to put on, I don't mean to rip on Photoshop because that's normally where the pictures come from, but, so. I it's so it, hard anymore to tell, I mean, everybody's faking everything. So even if you did catch something, something right. real, nobody would believe you anyway. So it still look cool though. Oh yeah. Whoever did it, put some time into it. I could tell. Well, maybe they're working to making me an intro for my videos on YouTube. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah. Also, another thing I did want to know, how did you get, I guess you could say introduced to radio? Well, internet radio or radio in general, <laughs> internet radio. Sorry. Okay. So, 
we'll, we'll speed forward a little bit. So we came home from that experience and I started talking to people and we started an investigation team. And then I put the team's website up and I'm like, man, I need more content. Cause I mean, there's only so much content you can put up there, especially if we're not putting anything together that I would want to put out there as evidence. So I'm like, we need something else. So I said, let's start doing uh, YouTube videos or Ustream live and just start talking about paranormal topics. And um, so we did that for a little bit. And about that time, I started really getting into internet radio because I was trying to, I was basically just looking for things to rip off, you know, topics to rip off and stuff. <laughs> topics to rip off. <laughs> yeah, topics to rip off. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. So. Oh, I appreciate that. So I, I started listening to some internet radio, and back back at that point, it was rare to go to a site that streamed twenty four seven. What, what it was year, if the show was live? What year was this? Sorry, Jim. What year was this, by the way? This would probably be about two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Oh, okay. So it, so if you wanted to listen to a show, you could go listen to it live, or you could find a podcast or a YouTube video. But this twenty four hour streaming thing was Fair, um, well, wasn't unheard new. of, but it was only you know it cost a lot of money. Sure. So, so then I started talking to some of the hosts and um, got got hooked into the, you know talking to the people in the chat rooms and I guess I could finish the story out and then the team revolted against doing these videos because they got tired of answering my my questions. Wait, let's back, was, let's back up here. What do you mean the team? Well, I started an investigation team, Meadville Paranormal, and um, so we were doing content for the website with these videos, and you can still find them on YouTube and. Um, so that was the early days of my hosting abilities. Ah, yes. The good old days. The good old days when there's actual video of me and some other people. The and, glory um, days. There's actually video of the first uh, couple Mauer reports that I did. There's actually video of that, too. So if you want to dig that up, you can dig that up somewhere. Did you um, see orbs? Did I see them in person? No. I've seen a bunch that I've made. Um, and <laughs> did some Will at Orb nights. You never and, experienced uh, anything, Jim, during your investigations? That... Not orb-like, no. But most of the things I've experienced on investigations were small things. The goosebumps, the – that's a warm spot or a cold spot, depending on the place we were at. Heard some strange things, but other than that, nothing that, nothing that makes me want to write a book. Nothing that stands out, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's usually a little bit boring when you go out on these investigations. I'm led to believe most of the time. Yeah, and I always tell people, if you want the action to pick up, turn everything off. And then the strange stuff will start to happen. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's a fact. That's it, hilarious. it seems That's like it. it. Yeah, yeah, it really does seem like it. So basically you were in different chat rooms and you were kind of getting a good feel for this sort of, uh, I guess you could say this genre, these sort of yeah, podcasts. Just, uh, the Wild West back then because that was when everything was kind of just. Do you recall what show you were listening to, by the way? Oh, there's a bunch of them. Because, like I said, I was just trying to find ones that, well, you know, it's still like you do today. You try to find people that voices you agree with, topics you agree with, yeah, styles you agree with. There was a bunch of them, but the one that stands out that gets me in trouble a lot of the time is, well, it was called Into the into the Dark Paranormal Radio, and then the original name that I knew it as is Lake Erie Paranormal. Lake Erie Paranormal. Mm-hmm. And they were from um, Toledo, Cincinnati, somewhere on that side of Ohio. So it must have been Toledo because it was Lake Erie. And so, kind of local, got to know the guys, and here, here's where the fun thing is. They had this guy call in from Florida, and uh, his name was Scott Temperman. It's always Florida. Yeah, and, and he was he would talk to the guys for a little bit, and actually, I talked to Scott before Ghost Hunters International. I called in for one of their shows just to ask him some random stupid question. So, it was kind of fun to see 
the guy that I knew, quote unquote, on TV for a little bit. And then obviously I've had him on my show a couple of times. And so nice. kind of fun to watch that whole cycle from a distance. Or yeah. To- mm-hmm. And what made you decide, well, I'm going to become a talk show host. When did that well, idea come into your your psyche there? Well, the idea came, like I said, I was doing these shows with the team. And they kind of slowed down on wanting to do them. So I said, okay. I, I was, I was convinced that that was something that needed done. So I did a few little videos by myself. And then, like I said, I was talking to some of these hosts and I said, why don't you start hosting your own show? I'm like, I don't know if I want to host my own show. That sounds kind of silly. I, you know, I kind of like that group dynamic. And I floundered around for a couple months and then eventually I landed as a co-host with this guy and we did about six weeks together. I still, I told you this before and it all blew up and went sideways and that's when I kind of, that was the moment of, oh, yeah. really want, you do were, I even really want yeah. to do this at all? <laughs> you were doing a show with someone else. Yeah, I was, doing, I was, I was co-hosting. And, uh, it went sideways. I mean, it just literally went sideways. I mean, the last night I did not talk how sideways this show went. Oh, and, my uh, goodness. You know, when you start inviting people on, you don't tell your other co-hosts until they're live on the air who you're bringing on. You, not, and somebody not, that I didn't necessarily agree with or didn't want to have on, yeah, you get oh, what you get. that's true. <laughs> And, um, so that, didn't, I knew that wasn't going to work. So that ended that night and I thought I was done because I was just so frustrated and disappointed that, you know, it's just everything that I, you know, cause I've been through the team, I've been through this co-host. It's just kind of like done. I, I don't want to do this. It's a lot of hard work, by the way. Oh, it is. It's and not then, that easy. And then the owner of that network called me and said, Hey, I think you've got talent. I think you can do this. What's it going to take you to get, you know, what's it going to take? And I said, I don't know, man. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it this way. And he, 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 he said to me, you know what? Then do it your way. Do it by yourself. Make it work. Call me back if you want to do it. He said, sleep on it. Don't do anything stupid tonight. Just sleep on it. Think about it. So I called him back two days later and said, well, if I'm going to do it, it has to be my way. It has to be my program. That's why it's the Mallard Report because it has to be me. And what was it? Well, it was 10 days after the, the other show ended that I started the Mallard Report. The fastest so. hour in paranormal. Yeah, that was quite a, that's quite a turnaround too, by the way. Like get everything and, uh, learn how to, uh, well, you, you understand pushing these buttons in 10 days to learn how to push those buttons. Pushing and, uh, buttons and turning knobs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. Getting, getting the stuff and then getting the people getting to it done. get you to <laughs> get, getting the people to teach you how to use the stuff. And oh yeah, it was quite the, uh, the bumpy ride to that. But, um, I, now I'm glad that I learned it the hard way in that short period of time because if I would have, if I would have took longer, I probably would have just bailed on it. Actually, thank you for encouraging me a lot, by the way, to press forward and do a show alone. Well, it, it, it has its drawbacks at times. It has its sure. pluses at times. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Everything has their pros and cons. But you have been someone who has been very supportive of, of, of me, really, for the longest time. And that I really appreciate. That's really oh, cool. You're welcome. There's, yeah. I mean, I try to support everybody that I can, just not you, but some people like it and some people, they just don't get it. And that's how and, it's uh, always going to be. Yeah. And that, it, the thing is because, okay, so you do a long format show. People love it. I do a shorter format show. So most people love it. People like it. Yeah. I've been in, in the chat room there when you interviewed me and lots of folks in there seemed happy enjoying yeah. the program. And here's the thing that most, some people don't understand about this. People can listen to both of our shows and be just fine. They're going to listen to other shows too. Exactly. The closed-minded people that think they should just listen to my show 
once a week, they should only listen to one podcast, it should be my show. That's stupid. Because if people are listening to podcasts or internet radio, they're consuming a lot of it. It's just not once a week. They're, they're, they like it, and that's their format. And God bless them, there's more of them coming. Yeah. And a lot of these programs don't survive for very long. They have a very the ad- short shelf life. The average life, spi- life cycle of an internet paranormal-based podcast is six months or so. I'm, I haven't done the math, but that seems to be what I've found through the years of watching them. Yeah, you're probably right about that. And, of course, when I was being interviewed by Ryan, I had the privilege of bringing up past experiences on other networks, Jim, and I think you might know what I'm talking about already. Well, I've, I've got quite an experience on other networks, but I think I know which one you're talking about. Yes. I could get into a whole bunch of different experiences. Yeah, well, well, with that one, that one was really strange. The one with the female owner. That's all I'll say. Like I said, I, I've had so many through the years. I, you know, it goes back to the second network I joined. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, what's, I on, Jim, I what's, was on there for five weeks, <laughs> and then one night I got the program running, and it said server error, password. Oh, like, okay, so I can't. You know, I'm live. I'm doing my show. Not good. On Skype, trying to find this password. Guy's not responding to me. I'm like, well, okay. So I go to the website. The website's down. So I'm sending a message, hey, your site's down. Hey, your stream's down. Four weeks later, I get a message from a friend of his saying, you didn't know? He didn't tell you? He got picked up by another network and shut his network down cold. Oh, wow. Then I'm like, didn't tell me, didn't send, you know, hey, deck message on Twitter, closed. Okay, I'm good. I don't have, that way I'm not sitting here trying to figure out what, you know, what the hell's going on. My God, that's not cool. No, it's not. It was stupid. And by the way, he went to this other network and got fired within like three weeks. Mm. And then he tried scrambling back. And I said, no, if you would have came to me and said, hey, I've got this opportunity at this other network. I'm going there and, you know, I'm putting this all in the back burner. Maybe. Wow. I didn't know about that, Jim. Oh, yeah. It was fun. I mean, I've started networks. I've obviously closed networks. I've ended other shows. I was telling people this the other day. In 2014, I did what was it, four straight interviews that ended the show. Nail in the coffin, huh? Nail in the coffin. Oh, my. Talking about, when I called, (laughs) when the fifth host called me, I I told him that, and they almost hung up on me. Jeez, that's hilarious. Um, Can you tell us what show that was? I don't remember the names of these shows. Like I said, they they just come and go. They're irrelevant then. But the funny thing is, the the last show, they went to break, and they started playing music, and I heard them starting to bicker, and I'm like, oh, God. That's not Here we go again. Yeah. Well, what's funny is that you did warn me about all of this early on, about networks and the people I'm going to come across. You were right. It's kind of scary how accurate you were. Like I said, not that none of these, I mean, the names on the doors change, but what's inside the door doesn't change. So wise. So true. So scary. <laughs> For sure. I guess write a book about that. I think you should. That would be quite an interesting read, I would say. You can make an audio version of it first. I get sued by a bunch of people, though, probably. You think so? Well, if I told the truth and used real names, probably. You can give them fake names. Oh, I think they'd probably still, they'd still be bent out of shape about it. Yeah, you're probably right. But <laughs> yeah, um, you have been 100% correct about networks and the people involved in them. And of course, you were also on the Dark Matter Network. I was. I was actually on ArtBell.com. You were I was there. The fourth, the fourth show on the test network. Yeah, you were there from the early go. How exactly did that pan out for you? Well, it, 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 
worked well until the end. And then the... Um, Can we talk about the end? Yeah, sure. I don't have anything to hide about the end. Um, my, it was on my anniversary, and um, I had some pers- other personal stuff going, so I had my wife on. Because uh, I wasn't planning on doing a show on my anniversary. I was actually planning on taking her out. But as I said, some other personal stuff came up, and I was able to do a show live because we didn't go out. So I needed a guest. So there we go. And um, so we did obviously talk paranormal to the fullest extent of the show. And um, there was a tweet posted about somebody hijacking my show. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cute. I seen it while I was live on the air. I didn't let her see it, but I seen it while I was live on the air. And I thought it was, you know, I didn't mention it. I just kind of let it go because it was towards the end of the show. A couple days later, I get an email from a listener of mine saying, hey, why aren't you on the Dark Matter schedule anymore? And I said, that's good news to me. So I went over and found it. And I sent a probably a flippant email to the man in charge. And uh, well, it went downhill from there. Because if he would have came to me and said, I'm taking you off the live schedule or left me on there until we talked about it, would have been different. But to just take me off the schedule altogether and then offer to air shows that were uh, approved by him. No, it's not going to how it's going to go. That's you're going to air my show or you're going to not air my show. That's pretty greasy. Yeah, it was it was, it was was kind of hurtful because, as, as you know, I have this amazing quote-unquote Twitter following, and I drove a lot of traffic there for all his shows and did a lot of things that I didn't have to do for him, a lot of things that other hosts weren't there doing for him promoting other shows and all this other stuff. And then just to um, not recognize any of the efforts that were put into it. Well, again, it happens at all the networks. It really does. And it's unfortunate. These uh, alleged program directors, they are usually very silly in nature. Well, they all, they all, they all seem to have this one friend in common. They've all somewhere seemed along the line to one of have done quote unquote real radio and have an understanding for the quote unquote business. And, um, Yet none of them kind of bring it to a business. It always seems to be um, back scratching in favors and all sorts of things. So it's a pretty greasy business. Yeah, it, but that's kind of. I mean, right now it's still in the infancy of internet radio, so it, you can get away with being whatever you can be to get ahead for now. By the way, speaking of that network, Art Bell is suing Michael Savage. Do you have any opinion on that? Um. I think he's just, how do I say this? I don't want to. It's, you're afraid to get sued now? Is that what you're saying? I, I'm trying to guard against getting sued. It's, it's an interesting lawsuit and I don't know how far it'll get. Just say it's your opinion, then you're safe. But, well, it's, yeah, it's definitely my opinion, but I, I'm just not sure how far it'll get and how far do you want to pursue it and how much, I mean, how much money are you going to make and how much money is it going to take and how much is the inconvenience of putting all this out there. True. And Michael Savage, it's, that's not an easy foe by any means. He's a very wealthy man himself and yeah, very, and and very the, prepared. And that works and mm-hmm. They're, they're going to back him. Yeah. So, and like I said, I mean, what's, what's the battle? Is it worth all the, I mean, we all know that Art loves attention, but does he really want to, I mean. That kind of attention? That's what know. I'm saying. Is that the attention he wants? Then again, some attention is better than no attention, I guess. Yeah, we're going to have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be, I, like I said, it just seems like it's going to be a drawn-out, brutal process. But... Uh-oh, did I lose Jim? But, oh, there you are. I don't, I don't, I don't, oh, did you? You're cutting in and out there. I just say, it just seems like a long, drawn-out process for, I don't, I mean, as you make $50,000, you make $50,000. I don't know. I don't know how much that's worth. Well, we're going to find out what happens. Helpful. Very interesting. 
Very. We'll see, we'll see how it all plays out. I don't know. I, I mean, somebody somebody said that he's deleted all the post off his Facebook page about it, so I don't know. Yeah, what that he means. Mm-hmm, he talked or he posted about that, and I was actually going to call his lawyer and get a statement. However, he took it down before I could do that, unfortunately. So too bad for me, right? Well, probably saved you some time. <laughs> sure. I was just hoping I could get something out of the lawyer so I could tell everyone here on the internet, since everyone out there is not getting any kind of information about this, this dark well, matter. Well, it's probably, it's, it's you know, got to go to free trial stuff. And it's going to be, like I said, it's just going to be a process. We won't know anything for months. And then there'll be a blip. And then there'll be another blip six months after that. A true headache. Yeah. Just something I, that I, I don't know. I don't necessarily, I mean, cause he's a public figure, so some of that stuff's fair game. So it'd be interesting to see how it all plays out. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't mentioned by name. So, gotta take that Which into is that, account. That's where the scary part of this all is, because even not mentioning him by name, because that all, you know, because that opens a whole full can of worms, because I then thought, you can't really even reference anybody. I thought he was all about free speech. Well, until a point, right? I, mean, I guess so, yeah. I mean, I'm all for it. I so really, you're talking about me. So I, I really, yeah. Well, you know, I really don't care what people say about me. I know that's not the same way for everyone out there, but for me, truly, I could care less. I spend less time thinking about those sort of people. You know, you know. Somebody asked me, what, "What's it like when you get that first bad review?" Not too bad. It feels all right. Well, it doesn't the, hurt. The first, the first one stinks, and then you real, then you take a minute and you go, "Well, they took the time to write it. They took the time to listen enough to know that you sucked." Lots of energy there. Yeah, so they admitted that you sacked. They took the, t- you know, because it, it's rare. I mean, it's, it's more often than not that you get a bad comment than a good comment. You never, it's some people get all these good shows, all this crap, and that's the host that needs your ego stroke. And we all know them. And we, but for for us, me and you, I'm assuming you. I've gotten over the ego of having a show a long time ago. I know. I'm I'm assuming that. Sure. That most of the reviews that you've seen lately are you're the worst host ever. Da 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 da. Those, those people are just my fans. But they're your future fans. They love because listening they, to the they'll program. Keep listening to yeah, they're not going to stop. Listening. I love those kind of people, by the way, and I'm glad you mentioned them because they always threaten to call in and say they're going to say these horrible things about me on air, and I always say, "Go ahead. That's going to make an interesting call, and you'll provide me plenty of material. So please, I- I'm begging you to call in and do that. I always do." Yeah, but they won't. They just want to hide behind their keyboard. They always do. They always hide behind their keyboards. Just spell the name right and we'll be good. Mm -hmm. That's all I really care about, to be honest. Spell my name right and we're fine. And moving along here now, Jim, Mm -hmm. are there any specific guests that you have interviewed that you would like anyone out there that's new listening to this that you would recommend checking out? Oh, goodness. Uh, well, I had a string of them this summer, which was just amazing. The summer was just amazing for me. I had George Norrie. George Norrie. I had him back on. I had Ben Melsrick, the author of the 37th Parallel UFO Highway. He wrote the book about Facebook and the um, MIT kids. Um, just sharp, sharp guy. And uh, then I had uh, David Pilates on, the missing 411 guy. Uh, um, just scary if you go out in the woods. Believe, believe, believe what you want about what happens to the people, but that guy's always somewhere. Yeah, like I said, believe what he you want about missing. what happens to these missing people. Just think about if you're the one out there missing and you need to know how to survive. And we talked about that in the interview as well. So mm-hmm. he's a good guest, by the way. I, I I don't mean that in a negative way. I, I just think he's no, a he, very well, actually, popular guy. 
He is, and the the problem is he's he very selective of what shows he does. When he does them, he, I mean, he got had the new book coming out, so I think he did eight interviews, which is fine. You you know, but that's it. Now you won't be able to get him again until he has another book coming out. Sure, so, and which makes it which makes it a little hard sometimes because of what's going on. Do you have a, when you're trying to do your show and you know he wants to be on that date? Yeah, that's that's something that I have to deal with a lot. You get most of these people trying to book dates that you're not really necessarily uh, doing or have planned to do, yet they're calling those dates for you. Yeah, I know it's it's fun, isn't it? It really is. Sometimes you have to just do what they say. Sometimes though, I was Maybe. supposed to I was supposed to have John B. Wells on not very long ago. And okay. I, I couldn't get him on. I had to make a trip to the dentist. Oh, that's so, always fun. Yeah, I had to cancel that. But, of course, I'm rescheduling him. So hopefully I'll get him here late this year or early next year. We'll find out. But he's always someone fun to talk to. I haven't had him on my show yet, but he's on the list for mm-hmm. Do you have any? Time. Do you have any favorites out there? Well... It's hard. It goes in cycles. And my favorite right now is Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer. Psychic lawyer? Yes. I gotta hear this. Who is he? He, well, as the title describes, he's, um, was a lawyer in Florida. I don't know if he's still practicing or not, because. Florida again. You know. Florida again. (laughs) Florida is like a a theme for the show. I love getting (laughs) him on because I can kind of steer him into office talking points and other things that are fun. And, you know, talking about stuff that he used to do as a lawyer and, mm-hmm. you know, just random current events kind of things that most, you know, they're there. He's there to sell books. So anything I can do to get him away from his book, even though I do let him talk about his book, but the other 45 minutes I want to get. And I, the my favorite story that he told was that he had a client and um, he failed a drug test. And that's um, not unusual. Yeah. And he, he, he said that his client was begging him to tell the judge about this poppy seed bagel that he had. And Mark proceeds to tell me about, well, you'd have to eat like a thousand poppy seed bagels to test positive for, for the opiate. Mm-hmm. And the judge says, fine, I'll give you the, the poppy seed bagel, but what about these other five illegal drugs he tested positive for? <laughs> and he looked at his client and said, well. That's funny. <laughs> so I'm not doing nearly as much justice as Mark did, but that, yeah. so that's the kind <laughs> of okay. thing I like to try to get out of him, something that's not necessarily in his standard. Yeah, I just... Standard. I just never heard of a psychic being a lawyer. Well, he's the one, apparently. I guess you could say I never saw that one coming. Oh, well, you're not psychic, though. Exactly. Also, we could could turn you into a psychic. Yes, we could. We definitely could. I just need a couple uh, sessions learning from from a few folks out there, a few mystics out there. But, Jim, I did want to get your take on the whole Mandela effect. I have no idea why that's been so popular amongst my listeners. And why they always want to hear me talk about it or, or other people talk about it, I, I just don't understand why. Do you, do you get that on your show? Those I, folks? I, people have asked, asked me to ask my guests about it all the time. It's very popular. All the damn time. And, and here's the thing. I've asked, I've asked the guest that, or the chatter that tells me to ask the questions. There's a couple of them. I said, find me a guest that talks about this, and I'll talk to them about it. Because every time I bring it up to a guest, they have no clue what I'm talking about. So, I mean, it's parallel. It, it comes back to parallel universes and all this other crap. I don't know. I haven't looked into it enough. I'm looking for. I've got people out there looking for the person that would know, be the definitive source on this, and I'm still waiting. Can't complain there. I'm so, with you. I, I I'm at a loss for it because I I've seen the blurbs, the paragraphs about it, and 
Do I believe there could be other dimensions and other time things? Yeah, sure, maybe. I don't know. I mean, time's man-made. So, what about the flat earthers? Are they yeah. still plaguing you? No. They get really they actually, mad at me, by the way. Well, you know, they actually kind of support the show because I took the time to talk about it. Oh, they get pissed at me, by the way. Well, I, I get it. I get at least two emails every other week. And I, well, because I had I had um, John on, and bright guy, smart guy, just not. I don't know. How do I say this? There are smart people, and then there are smart people that can tell you a story. Not necessarily tell you a story, but able to explain themselves better, maybe. Well, some people can't express add themselves con- that good. Add some context to it, maybe. Mm-hmm. And John Teeter's on the smarter side of things, which is fine, but he didn't sell me on either. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. He did have a book with Bob Mitchell, who passed away. And I really liked Bob so much. He was a great guy, and I feel terrible that I didn't get a chance to talk to him again. And he had sent me a copy of that last book he he put out there. And he was always so happy when I talked to him. And I never got a chance to uh, say bye to him or anything like that. After I knew he was sick, of course. It's just it's terrible. I feel bad for all of that. That's one thing I sometimes really... Sometimes you say bye to people and they live another five years. So. Yeah, that's something, though, that I really regret. I didn't reach out to him sooner. Because I thought he would be okay. I, I didn't think he would um, pass away. Well, I That's a bit of a bummer. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a bit of a bummer there. But he probably is in a better place right now. Or at least I'd like to hope so. I think so. The, I, I, I agree. I hope so. I mean, What is your take on the afterlife? Do you believe in an afterlife? I'm not sure if I've ever talked to you about this. No, we haven't talked about this. And that's an interesting question because... Maybe this is where the parallel strangeness begins, because I believe that some people, some spirits, I guess at this point, linger around Earth watching their family and loved ones. And I do believe there are some people, like Linda said, that just zip line up or zip line down. So I know that's a horrible analogy. But, <laughs> that's okay. So is is that where these parallel things come into play? Maybe. Or maybe they, maybe they, maybe I'm wrong. And maybe we just all go to a, a timeless place, and then whatever happens, happens for me. I don't know. That's why I keep talking to people about this stuff. Did you grow up religious by any chance? Were your oh, parents yeah. religious? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Grew up in the church. So. Bible Belt, huh? Well, not necessarily Bible Belt, but yeah, I grew up in the church. I prefer the Rust Belt because it's mean, much more fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Not quite the South. I mean, things are open here on Sunday. So. Mm-hmm. Seems like... That area, for some reason, that you're in is always plagued with paranormal things or or the wolf man, you know, all sorts of crazy cryptids running around in your area. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, it's just kind of crazy area. By the way, have you ever had Linda on your show? No, I haven't. She's great, by the way. Yeah, I listened to most of that first. I love Linda. First bit of that. Great, great woman. And going back to your show here. Can you tell everyone where they could find your show? Well, I'm going to give you the fun link tonight. The Mallard.Report. You can spell even you can misspell Mallard there. You can just spell it without the I if you want. Takes you to the same page. And, Jim, do you have any influences in terms of radio? Not really. No, I'm never influenced by anyone. Not kind anyone of, directly, no. Kind of I mean, did your own I, thing. Kind of tried to do my own thing. I kind of, because um, I, 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 we, we talked about this on my show. And you want me to say the name again, or are you good with that? Oh, go ahead. It's fine. 
I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna puke this time, I promise. Well, I, well the, the, my interest in radio comes from watching it on TV, and I watched Don Imus there for <sighs> a couple of years. Eh, well, but then, Jim. Now I watch, I watch sports talk oh, now on radio. You're hurting me, Jim. I know, but like my I said, soul. I'm not influenced by it. I don't think, I don't think I'm that sensational or anything. I think it was just something, something different than the day show. My soul is, just left my body right now. Well, where's it going? It's, uh, it's ascending. Your astral production. Can we build a website around that? Uh, it's ascending <laughs> right now. I'm somehow still conscious here in this body, in this vehicle. But yeah, Don Imus, God, God damn. How is he still I don't, on the air? How no is he idea. not fired? How is he not croaked by now? Why is he it's, still there? Well, we'll think about Raj, Don Imus, and even... I mean, think about those two. What are they? Both, they've got to be both over seventy. They're pretty old. And they've both both got health issues. Going to listeners and health issues, and so what's the face of radio going to be in, in what, ten years? We'll give them good, ten years. Good, good question. I don't even know what's going to happen. It'll be interesting to see how this all turns. Howard Stern turns. will be gone. Yeah, he'll be away. Who's going to replace that guy? You. Me? <laughs> how can I replace the great Howard Stern? That's what I'm saying. Where, where are we going to, I mean, everybody, you know, we're in this new internet wave is traditional AM. Well, I think AM talk radio is dead already. I think it's been dead. It's just looking for a place to, to die. To hang its hat. Yeah. For yeah. that final. Mm, the final, the final hour. Yeah. It's just looking. And then I really do think radio is going to go away. Terrestrial radio. Everything is going to go on the internet. Yeah. I, I think you're right. No, Most things the, are on the, the internet, however. Yeah, smart dashes are killing things. I mean, you can listen to this show on your smart dash. Yeah, and you could listen to all sorts of things on the internet. Most, I, I even remember some cars not even having a radio in them. You know, it's funny because I, I, like I said, I've kind of roamed my way through all this and made some interesting contacts. And what was it, 18 months ago, two years ago, one of these new program managers on AM radio went out and bought himself a new car with a smart dash in it. And posted this big, long, nasty blog about how his new smart dash didn't have an AM tuner in it. Oh, God. He took the car back. Wow, really? Because he couldn't listen to his stations while, you know, on his way in or, you know, had to take the car back because he couldn't <laughs> listen to it. And I'm like, geez. I'm thinking, man, you better be looking for a new job if your new car doesn't let you listen to your work. But I didn't say that to him. That's true, yeah. Very, very interesting there. But yeah, um, these, Internet broadcasts are what's gonna be around for a long time, I suspect. Well, I su- it's, it's, it's the immediacy. This is just the infancy right now, this period yeah. that we're in. Because somebody asked me if I'd trade my show for a 100 AM or 100 station a syndication deal in America. And I said, no. Why would I? Cause I can already reach all those, all those people in all those cities. Yeah, right here on the World Wide Web. Yeah. And, and if they want to find it, they'll find it. You know, speaking of which, I always thank the Internet and its great power for connecting all of us together. And it always goes through my mind that without the Internet, none of us would even be talking right now. Our lives would probably have not crossed at any time. Our paths would would probably would have never happened if it wasn't for the Internet. Well, thought of that, we wouldn't be talking right now without the Internet. Yeah, it's really amazing that this technology has really shaped the way things are. Shrunk the world to a degree that is unfa- unfashionable because I've had guests on from Australia, uh, Nepal, South Africa, uh, the UK, plus I mean all all across the country. Can't yeah. argue with that. The yeah. internet's made it made it possible. 
and people are hooking up online left and right. Using the their, the, you can do anything you want on the internet. Using their mobile devices to connect with some beautiful strangers in the night. Well, hopefully they're beautiful. If you're going to be hooking up at night, well, I guess it's at night, so it doesn't have to, don't have to be at 10, right? Ah, well, you're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Try yes. to try. Oh. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed, for sure. So another thing I, I was going to ask you about here was, did you ever cover the whole clown fascination thing on your show? Uh, maybe in passing, but never. I'm not interested in it. Because after the first ones, it's all been copycat people. It's just very bizarre that that was actually a thing this year. Now that I'm reviewing the year, we're almost in 2017 now, and I'm looking back and thinking, damn, society was kind of nuts this year, right? I think so, and I think the election had a lot to do with it. People were just looking for a release out of that cycle, news cycle. It's been so. a wacky year. So we just kind of um, dressed up and went nuts, which, yeah, happens. Did you enjoy your Halloween, by the way? No, well, my Halloween was kind of quiet this year, which is which is kind of strange when you're in the paranormal things. I got to spend it doing a lot of stuff for the kids, which is which was different, which is cool. Yeah, and you're how many kids do you have, by the way? I have two. Boy and a girl, or just What's that? Yeah, one in each. So, oh, okay. and they're right at that right age. Um, so, how old are they, are. by the way? Uh, nine and six. And they see you doing a show, and and what do they say? Daddy's on the radio talking to strangers again. Well, they they know it's Tuesday night. They go, they come upstairs and go to bed, and that's what. Then I mean, they know Daddy does a show on Tuesday night, and they don't really if ask he's, if he's back there talking. That's fine. They he's haven't they haven't gone to that age where they're asking questions yet. No, not really. And the, ever, one's kind of the, one, the, the older one's interested in Bigfoot a little bit. Not a lot, though. Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. See, this is what I was thinking. What are you going to tell your children once they start to perhaps take an interest in, in these sort of things? I'll tell them to figure it out for themselves. <laughs> oh, my. You'll tell them well, to start I mean, questioning, questioning everything, even you? Yeah, well, I think they will eventually either way. If they don't listen to the show or start even into this stuff, I think that that questioning happens through a point of life anyway. So what if what if your kids become Alex Jones fans? What would you think then? Nothing wrong with them. I think I think that, hey, as long as you are willing to listen to something that isn't necessarily that you believe in or believe in, as long as they don't you know, when you start getting on that one percent of either end of the topic and become fundamental and over the top effects is when you have problems. True. Very true. So, I would have to exile my child if he if he would tell me that he was a fan of of Don Imus. Well, if your if your child's a fan of Don Imus, you might have a bigger problem. I would divorce him. <laughs> I would say it's over, son. You're you're gonna have to leave the house already. It's over. Of course, yeah. I'm only of course I'm only plain. I'm not serious. I, I was gonna say. I mean, I like I said, you're, you're, you, as far as right, you don't have any children, so we're talking. It'd be what ten years from now. So if Imus is still on. The- Jesus, imagine. Well, they're talking about um, reversing the aging process, and some even have said in 10 years from now, they'll be able to, I guess you could say, be immortal, allegedly, according to some scientists out there right now. Well, they're going to have a hell of a problem with overpopulation. Exactly, and that's also something I was thinking about. And there's a video, um, I'm forgetting the guy's name right now, I saw it yesterday. Very random, too. I wasn't even looking for this sort of material, but it came across on YouTube 
Um, he's some sort of, some sort of, um, I think he's like a Hindu guy, a Hindu gentleman, but he talks about that. And I think that's pretty cool. Because we all live forever. We just keep having babies. We're just going to be. That, that just reminds me of like transhumanism and just perhaps that we can actually one day live for a, a very, very long time thanks to new technology in the works. So maybe the Georgia Guidestones are right. Maybe we need to... Oh. <laughs> what is it, 30 million people? Mm-hmm. If, if they're going to live forever, I mean, that's a fair number. Well, we'll find out. I really don't think that's going to happen, and I don't think anyone really wants to live forever. Well, based on the people I see living that are about 100 that don't get around much, I don't know if I want to live to be 110. <laughs> Me neither. That's a horrible age to be around still, I think. It must not be fun. Yeah, I'd rather go out with them. Yeah. You know, I'm still having fun. I'm still not saying anytime soon, but, you know. Yeah, things got dragged down here. Now I'm thinking yeah. about being like an 80-year-old man now. Hey, at least then you can quit your show and then come back and quit your show and come back. <laughs> You're horrible, Jim. How dare you? I know. Could be worse. Yeah, that's true. Could be a lot worse. So, Jim, I do want to thank you for being a part of this program. I had a great time talking to you here, sharing the air with you. Always a fun time. Anytime, you know that. I'm always, uh, I'll, Saturday nights are a good night to stay awake, so. Yeah, you're, you're a bit of a night owl. Well, not as much as I used to be, but Saturday, I mean, when, I mean, cause during the week, when I gotta get up and get the kids off of school, this wouldn't happen, but when I can sleep in a little bit, life is, life is a little bit better. Amen to that. So Jim, go ahead and plug anything you want to right now. Please feel free to do so. Well, as I said earlier, you can go over to mallard.report or tmr247.com, get a, Get a good look at all the shows that I've done. It's over 250 now. Um, most recent ones there in the front. Uh, live shows Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern. As Michael mentioned, the chat room is always always fun and entertaining. Sometimes it's hard to read during the show. I, I guess Michael can attest to his chat room. It's good. It's bad. It's fun. makes things. Uh, people often ask me, what, why don't I just do a podcast? And people in this format, live formats, where it's, you could be reading something, and trying to be serious, and then next thing you know, you look up there and there's something in the chat room that just makes you have to slam the mute button because you're going to laugh. Yeah, and I know that's that. That's the part of it <laughs> that you can't get with a podcast. I know that way too well. It it seems like there's people out there who specifically listen to try and throw me off the intro. No, I know. I used to have chatters who they they would tell me. they Their goal for listening to the show was to make me laugh that way. I'm telling you, those people exist. Last time they were sending me, sending me fake nudes of Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, see, that would probably how make the, sense. How the hell am I going to do an intro when I'm getting photos like that? I don't have any clue. But that's, so yeah, that's the live thing, and I love the live thing, and I love my podcast listeners, and that's what I'm doing right now, and some other stuff that I'm hashing around, so we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah, those great live shows. I want I, I, I'm addicted. And plus, like I said, the kids know it's Tuesday night. Daddy's doing a show. So it works. They know what time it is. They know what time it is. Thankfully. Oh, yes. So once again, thank you for being here on the program. I do appreciate your time, and I'll have to ring you back up one of these days in the near future. Oh, anytime. And it, like I, I, you mentioned earlier about um, the encouragement and all that stuff, just remember, if you need anything, ask somebody else. Haha. <laughs> thank you very yeah. much. So, Jim. Stay safe out there. I'm going to try because it's, it's raining here and it's winter, so you know what that means. Oh, yes, I do. Horrible.
Well, thank you for being here, Jim, and I'll talk to you again soon. Yep. Have a good night. All right. Take care, Jim. And that was Jim Mallard, folks. My goodness, what a guest. Always fun to talk to Jim. Always fun to be here on the microphone. And remember, when that little red light is on, that means it's it's open season here. That means you can call in any time you want. Don't ever be scared. So join me here December 20th at 6.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll be doing a Christmas special with Inglorious Bitch. Gotta love that. That's going to be fun. I hope all of you will be here. I hope, I hope, I'll keep my fingers crossed this time that the TuneIn radio app and the stream and all that handles whatever issues occurred here tonight. I'm not sure if something was pinged. I'm not sure. We're going to find out. So thank you once again for being a part of the show. I had a great time. I hope you had a great time, and I hope you enjoy your weekend. What was that, Jim? Ah, it probably was. We're, we're going to find out, though. Can exchange a few emails here with the people, and we're going to get to the bottom of this. So once again, thank all of you out there for being here. I thank everyone who's going to listen to this later on iTunes and the 24-7 stream, if that works. I hope so. With that said... The world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. Sherry. Right in the car now. I'm not that way. I'm a Christian. Oh, my. Yeah. Not about a rescue school. Not about a rescue school. Thank you for the Illuminati. Yeah, we're about going to be behind that, but the Illuminati certainly is part of the whole thing. Top members of the Illuminati are open worshippers. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. Like, you can just see it. It's clear. <laughs> appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holden right now. It's crazy. I had no idea this shit existed before 